five. Now this is most important, Rat. It comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly dee! Bam bam bam! Doctors and inmates, we are gathered here to debate the sanity of patient number 1111, also known as Alice Cooper. The events of this case are bizarre. Frankly, I'm baffled. So I will show them to you for your judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, the strange case of Alice Cooper. everyone and here we are with our alice cooper review i'm joined always as edwin but edwin you want to introduce our very very like high prestige special guest today of course he's he was here uh, once before and we're so thrilled to have him on yes yet again from decibel geek the one and only chris sinzak Woo! Woo! how's it going chris I'm good. Uh, it's, it's too much of a build-up. I'm going to let everybody down now, but thanks for having me on. <laughs> you got that cool low-key thing, you know? Yeah. I, I, I told you about this last episode, but, you know, I love the cool low-key thing. It's like, it's funny because I was just posting about Tom Atkins uh, from... Uh, I love Tom Atkins in from Halloween 3. Halloween 3, The Fog. thing about 
Tom Atkins, why he's the coolest of all the horror movie leading men, in my opinion, oh, yeah. is he's very low-key and cool. Like, he doesn't try too hard, but yeah, he's, awesome. he's naturally a badass. Just naturally a badass. He doesn't try too hard, but he just is. And that's what you're like, Chris. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, 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 this, the sad thing is, this is me trying hard, but thank you. <laughs> hey, you're the Tom Atkins of the podcast world. I mean, that's a pretty big honor right there. Uh, anyway, but we can edit that part out, you know, so people don't know that Chris is really trying very hard. <laughs> uh, so, so how's life been going, Chris? You know, how's everything going in the world of uh, podcasting and preparing for rocks, you know, rock and pod and all that? It's exciting. Yeah, exciting, busy, maddening, chaotic. Pretty much, that's my life all the time. But yeah, going, going, doing. I'm doing okay. Okay, so you hanging in there? Yeah, so far. As we get closer to March, I'll probably be the case. But right now, I'm doing good. Yeah. Why don't you okay. tell the people about uh, about rocking? Because I'm gonna post this episode up probably right away. Because Alice Cooper kind of goes hand in hand with Halloween. So I'm yeah. gonna get this one. This one's going up right away. So why don't you tell people about like you know like the guests that are already confirmed that you've announced on the Rock and Pod page, and uh, just what what to expect at Rock and Pod for many people that uh you know for many people that aren't that are kind of new to it. Yeah. So to kind of sum up what Rock and Pod is, is it's kind of like a trade show meets a fan expo, and uh, it, but it's for uh, rock music artists, fans, podcasters, vendors. And it's like a the convention is on Saturday, March 18th, but it's going to be surrounded by a lot of other events. We're, we're probably going to have live music on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, is nice. you know di- different venues, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, probably also going to do a comedy show again. I've got some comed- I can't announce the comedians just yet, but I've got a few confirmed already, and then I'll, which I'll tell y'all all there. But because uh, okay. I don't want. I never count my chickens before they hatch. But, uh, we do. We're gonna do that, and then. Um, but yeah, as far as guests that we've already announced, uh, photographer Mark Weiss, who took a lot of amazing shots through the you know the '80s, did the Stay Hungry album cover and a lot of other cool stuff. He's gonna be coming. Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys was confirmed a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, talked to him on the phone earlier today. He's excited for the event, and uh, we had uh, we have Stevie Rochelle from Metal Sludge and Tough coming. And uh, he's excited to come. Rick Fox is going to be coming back again from Wasp and Steeler. I've got a few more that I'll be announcing this week. So, uh, but that—that's essentially who I've got. But I'm—I'm in talks with a lot right now. Nice. Yeah, it's still a little. We're a few months away, so I'm I imagine in the next couple months you're going to get a lot of people and a lot of announcements. the goal is to get most of the guest list confirmed by the end of the year. That's that's what we're hoping for, because then you got to do all the scheduling with the uh, podcast and the interviews. And, um, but yeah, we're uh, we're like about halfway sold on the platinum package for podcast, so that that's a price. Nice. That, 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 yeah, those are flying out soon. So hint, hint, guys, if you haven't gotten around to it, you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we gotta get on that because we definitely yeah. want to be there. This will be my first year ever going. So same here. This will be that's my right. first year. Yeah, so I'm very excited. You know, the March I'm, date definitely helps. Like August is always like kind of a tough, tough month. Was always kind of a tough month. So the March, like the whole March thing, actually worked out pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's, 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 and I, I had several people that have said that where they're like, oh, I haven't been able to do it in, in August, so this gives me a chance to come. So where are you guys based out of? Indiana. 
I'm currently I'm in Tampa, Florida. I kind of bounce between L.A. and Tampa, but um, either way, you know, I'll, I'll be there. Whether I'm in L.A. or Tampa, it's just it's just an airplane ride away, so I'll get there. Are you, are you going to yeah. be in L.A. in a couple of weeks? Uh, no, unfortunately. Why are you going to be there? Yeah, I'm I'm helping work the Cruise Fest event, and uh, I'm looking at putting a, doing like a get together at the Rainbow a couple days before. So oh, it sucks. Nor- yeah, normally you know I'm there a lot, and Rainbow's one of my hangouts. Uh, it, actually, I was going to bring it up a little bit later in this episode because I was going to talk about the Hollywood vampires a bit. But the yeah, so I assume you know you've been out to LA a few times before, right? Yeah, well just. I went to Nam in 2017, so uh, and I did go to the Rainbow then. But yeah, that's like I'm gonna have like one day to actually have any fun, and then after that it's gonna be work, work, work. Yeah, but too bad. I'm sorry if I was in town. Yeah, I would definitely be there. But I know next uh, the next month or two I'm gonna still be in Tampa. So uh, have you been to the the upstairs bar, the above over the Rainbow? They call. I got to I got to pee when I was there, but it was only for a few seconds. But, uh, I mean, do you have to, like, get special permission to go up there? No, you don't need to. It's not always open. That's the thing. It's usually, um, I, it changes a little bit, but, but normally it's, like, Thursday night. That's a big, that's a good night to go up there. I don't know when you're going to be there. I think on the weekends it is open. It does, they do, they do close it sometimes, so it's not always open. But, I mean, even if it's closed, you can kind of go up there and, like, peek in like you did. But when it is open, it's a great vibe. It's my favorite bar there. It just has a really cool vibe. And it almost feels, I know, I'll, I'll just say like the rest of the rainbow, especially these days, it feels very touristy. Yeah. But over the rainbow doesn't feel as touristy. It still feels a little bit like it's where the locals hang out because I think the tourists don't know it's there. So, yeah, so it's kind of like a little secret hidden bar. It's also where he, I probably shouldn't be revealing this, but I'm going <laughs> to reveal that anyway. It's where they have uh, I'm not going to say when they do it, all right, because that would be an a- asshole move on my part. But there is a time where there's a celebrity AA meeting that's held there. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I was there. Like, uh, I'm not going to say when, but there was a certain period, a certain time of day when I was there and I noticed that it was just, there were a little bit more, there were more rock stars just showing up here and there mm-hmm. than, than even usual. And it was like, a, it was an off, you know, it was an odd time, you know, which makes sense. And after, and I asked the uh, waitress or bartender I was friends with, um, and I, and they re- informed me that it's where they have an AA meeting. I always thought Holy it was funny shit. that they have an AA meeting at, at a their, bar. Yeah, at the bar where they probably all <laughs> were doing most of their drinking. <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like Fox in the Hen House, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's like, uh, yeah, there was a very famous rock star. I'm not going to say his name, but he's he's he was the first singer from Black uh, Sabbath. <laughs> and, Holy and, shit. And he was just... He was like just in the table over me. Like it was just like he was just like oh, a couple wow. inches away, and he was pitching about some woman in his life. I'm not gonna say who it was, but anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> elder abuse, elder abuse, and and this was a few years back. But I just gotta say it was like moments like that, and this is like that's that's when I felt like ah, this is the real rainbow, you know. But you can't, you're not gonna get that like if you go on a Saturday night. That's all I'm gonna say. Like now, if you go on Saturday oh, night. I'll, I'll... Yeah, it, you're going to get kind of a different crowd, but if you go on an off night or, you know, you could kind of, there's still a little bit of the real rainbow. It's still there at times. 
Yeah. Now, but I'll, be there, I'll, be, I'll be there on a Wednesday afternoon, so hopefully that's when the AA happens. <laughs> um, I'm not <laughs> saying anything, but um, you might have got lucky. Well, it was like one time I went to a strip club, like, you know, during the daytime, and there was like a Lamaze class, like, in, you know, in the back room, and I'm like, what the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Oh god! It's, it's the funniest thing is when you're using uh, the, the the men's room up there, and the AA meeting. People are coming down. Let's just say you hear a lot of interesting stories when you're in that stall, or you know the urinal. <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend uh, if you happen to be there on a Wednesday. Not saying sure this you is pee a lot. I'm not saying this is when the meetings ha- happens, but if it is, which it might be, uh, yeah, you know, take a few trips to the men's room and just keep. Prick, prick up your ears. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You'll hear some stories. But, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, have you been to the Sunset Marquee? No. I, the, really, the, only, the time I went, I, I got to, I walked into the whiskey, nothing was going on, and, but I wanted to see it, and then uh, looked at the Roxy, and and then hung out at the Rainbow. I'm, I'm friends with a guy named Moose, who was one of Kiss's first roadies, and, and we met last time, and he's going to meet up with me again. That guy's got stories. Oh, oh that, that's awesome. You're going to have to post that, you and Moose, at the Rainbow. That's awesome. Yeah. That's my yeah. cat's name. It's a good name. I had a buddy named Moose, too. I think everyone has some Moose in their life, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, so Chris, let's uh, get into it. That's all cool, excited about, you know, rock, rock and pod. And yeah, and get on your tickets. Get them now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we got to do that, too. Rockandpod.com, get all your tickets, registration, VIP we will get on it, and we're gonna. Oh, yeah. Even if we don't have a booth, me and Eric will be standing there with like uh, a sign. Yeah, we'll have like a <laughs> we'll have rock all over your t-shirts. We'll, 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 we'll try and get like a t-shirt girl, like a hot girl, like with a t-shirt gun, just shooting t-shirts at people. I don't, I don't want a hot girl. I'd rather have like a, a cute, sexy girl who's approachable. Oh, okay. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> really approachable podcast. Yeah, I, I feel like that. That'll distinguish us a little bit. You know, guys will look around and they'll go, I have a shot with that podcast. <laughs> you don't want to get uh, Mark Alden Taylor to represent you? <laughs> not that approachable. <laughs> uh, yeah, not quite that approachable. But uh, Mark might be, you know, he'll be there with his own podcast. So him and Lee. Yeah. It'd be like yeah. the NWO of this event. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there's like the main stage and then there's like the small stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, well, we could be at the small stage. Uh, Ian and Ralph are already confirmed too. So, uh, yeah, oh, which is great. Oh, you know, yeah. I, I've never been in the actual same space as Ralph or Ian, even though I've been friends with both of them for years. Like you, you know, unlike you, Chris, I've never been in a room with you. I've never been in a room with Eric, and he's my goddamn co-host for real. I, yeah. I, I haven't met anyone from the, our like little like universe. Um, it would be exciting for me. Yeah, I hope Mick Watkins go out there because that would oh, yeah. be great to actually hang out with Mick. I never, you know, me and Mick, you know, we're, we're bros, but I've never hanged out with him in person. It's kind of interesting. I mean, I know, Chris, you, you talked a bit about this in the last episode that you were on about what was interesting about Rock and Pod was like you set it up mainly just so it was an opportunity to hang out with these people you became friends with via the podcast. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Yeah, so it's like there is this whole like army of friends and fans and like it's this whole world i mean i know people that live in la that i'm friends with that have also followed like you know these podcasts that we all are part of or listen to but there's a lot of people that 
I do consider real friends that I've not actually met in real life. And so that's kind of interesting when you think about it. Make sure you pack a liver. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I got a pretty good tolerance. I've been building one up over the, you know, 30-something years. I've built up a pretty good liver. So, okay, so let's talk about – talking about alcoholism – there's this yeah, guy exactly. named Alice Cooper <laughs> who drank so much it put him in a fucking insane asylum. Now that's hardcore drinking. That is. <laughs> He's like, just skip AA, skip Betty Ford, put me right in the sanitarium. <laughs> that's like someone that runs. That's like someone that has a car and they run out of gas. And instead of just filling their car up with more gas, they just buy a new car. That's pretty extreme. He's like, you know, I know why I'm drinking. It's because I'm fucking crazy. Put me in the insane asylum. <laughs> <laughs> and plus, he's probably thinking in the back of his head that I'm Alice Cooper. It'll be cooler, and I might be able to make a concept album out of this. Just say he might have been oh, thinking. Oh, he that. fucking did that. <laughs> oh wow, what do you know? He did that. <laughs> but before we get into uh, from the inside, uh, let's talk to Chris about. Alice Cooper, just in general. How did you get into Alice Cooper? How long you've been a friend, you know, fan? What's your history with Alice Cooper? Well, I was kind of a bit of a service fan for a long time. I mean, obviously, I think the, I think the first exposure I had to him was when the He's Back, the Man Behind the Mask video came out on MTV, and I was just getting into rock music at that time. I was like 11, 12, and um, I liked him, and I really liked uh, Trash when it came out. I was very into the, just the commercial metal at the time. So, I mean, I was young. I hadn't really dug deep into stuff. And then um, I was into that. I, I liked Hey Stupid. I, but I wasn't like a diehard fan at the time. I just was always like, well, I appreciate him for influencing Kiss. And but it was really not until I started the podcast that I, I got into them. And it was all through, um, I got hooked up with Dick Wagner to, to do an interview. Aaron and I did. And at that point, obviously... As you guys know, when you, inter- when you set up the interview, somebody's like, well, I better listen to this catalog and get into this. <laughs> yeah. And I, so I kind of really dug in on the solo years. And I think because of that, I'm more of a fan of his solo years than I am the original band. I like the original band, but it's if I'm going to grab anything, it's going to be the solo years, like from Welcome to My Nightmare through Dada. Those are the, those are the albums that I like, especially like the Blackout era, too. And there's... As we get into this, there's little hints of what was going to happen with the Blackout era on this record, but that was, so I guess probably, what, 2011, 2012 was when I really got into him, and at this point, he, you know, he's overtaken Kiss as far as my ranking and my favorite artist, because Kiss certainly hasn't done themselves any favors the last few years, but, yep. um, and, I, and I've seen him multiple times live, and no, I just, I, I, he, I'm a huge fan of him now. Wow, and, and that's your favorite period. I would say it sounds like early from like mid seventies into the eighties solo period is that's your like Alice. That's your favorite Alice. Yeah, the weirder the better. I I, I love all the Blackout era stuff. I love Special Forces. I Zipper is a little hit and miss for me, but um, Special Forces, Flush the Fashion, of course, Dada I think is kind of a masterpiece, but it's it's kind of misunderstood, but. And this album also, um, which I'll get into my story with Dick Wagner about this, this album, but um, well, I'll do that real quick now, uh, if that's okay. Uh, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, we got time. I totally so, want to hear about uh, 
Dick Wagner in this album. So go ahead. Yeah, so initially we did just a kind of a career interview with Dick Wagner, and that went great. And then <clears throat> he was coming into Nashville to promote his book, and he was doing like a book tour and doing a little live set. And when he was in town, I was like, well, do you want to get together? And that was when we wanted to start the Albums Unleashed series. And I was like, well, let's find something. And that the goal is typically, yeah, we've done big records, but the goal a lot of times is get something that's kind of not appreciated as much as it should be and, and focus in on it or if there's not a lot of info on it. But the Dada fit the bill for that. So we approached him about it. And I'm like, would you, would, would you talk about this record while you're in town? And, and he said yes. And it was an amazing conversation. And, like, he really kind of opened up to us about it he even like teared up at one point because we were showing him how much we loved it and he was just like i wish more people had the, the same love for it as you guys do but at the time you know this was near the end of his life and at the time he told but somehow from the inside got brought up during the interview and um he goes now that is an album i would like to talk about and at the time that that struck us and then you know he went on with his book tour and i stayed in touch with him through texting and facebook and uh he he you know he got back to me he's like we should set that up soon and like literally within a day or two he was in the hospital and he kept messaging me from his hospital bed saying wow we, we should do this soon if we're gonna do it because i don't know how much time i have left. and I'd grown to, to really love the guy, and I was just... But the, as you know, it's like, I'm not going to bug this guy for an interview when he's in a hospital. I was like, look, man. I was like, just take care of yourself first. Put your health first. When you get out of there, we'll set this up. But right now, you need to focus on, on healing. And uh, he never made it out of the hospital, so we never got to do it. Wow. Damn. That's... Yeah, that's a both sad but amazing story. And... You know, that Dada episode's great. A decibel geek. You know, anyone and, uh, that hasn't listened to it, you got to check that out. And uh, you guys, too, did an episode where you just basically covered the whole, like, blackout period. And that episode was amazing. Because that's yeah. a really... Uh, there's... You know, that's a period of his music that's so, like... It, it's like discovering something new, you know? It's like opening a new present on Christmas Day that was hidden behind the tree that you didn't see at first. It's like... It's just amazing, that whole era, discovering those albums. Yeah, it's a, I didn't even know, I'll be honest, before that, I didn't know how much... I mean, so, Dick Wagner, how much... When did he come in exactly, and what's what's the first album he's working with? Because essentially, he was Alice Cooper's collaborator. He's writing all the music for his solo period. Um, does he... he uh, but I'm not an expert with this, because like I came into Alice Cooper and got really into him a little bit, even a little bit later than you. Although now I am a big fan and have all his albums, but I'm not an expert. So when did Dick come in, and when when did he go out essentially? Well, he can't, he predated the uh, the solo years. He actually the, he was one of the first people Bob Ezrin would bring in, uh, much to the chagrin of the original band, to to ghost on stuff. And I think School I could be wrong, but I think School's Out was the first record he did anything on, and he he played on select stuff on that I believe, and then but I know that. Once he was going to do Welcome to My Nightmare, that was when he got kind of fully brought on board. And then the tour for that, you know, it was him and Steve Hunter, a guitar duo, um, doing that. And, it, you know, Hunter and Wagner were uh, Lou Reed's band. And, yeah, they're on rock and, rock and Roll Animal. Right. And uh, 
and also, if you don't know, uh, they they also play on Aerosmith uh, on Train Kept a Rolling. Yep, that's yeah, they, yeah. I was like not a Joe and Brad. That's Steven. And I was Dave. shocked. I was crestfallen. I gotta say, as much as I love Joe and Brad, I I spent most of my adult life thinking, just assuming that was you know Joe and Brad doing that those great like trading off really amazing leads, and then to find out that it's not them on an Aerosmith album, that was like fucking crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, but so Dick was with Alice from Welcome to My Nightmare on, um, but there was a period of time in the, I think it might be Lace and Whiskey he's not on because he actually did go off and do a solo record. Uh, I think it's that album that he's not on and he's, or he's not, and you know, and then he, he, but he was off the band for Special Forces. He's not on that record. I think he's on part of Flush the Fashion. I see. I'm no expert either. Yeah, but he came back for. He's on this. I know he, that. Yeah, and then he, mean, come, he came yeah. back through for Zipper Catch a Skin, and that was. He told us in the interview. He was like, I didn't know what the hell I was walking into with that. He's like, everybody's freebasing cocaine every five minutes, and then, uh, and then the Dada thing, as you know, he he basically had to will his way through that record to get Alice to work on. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, you, that's the thing too. You listen to those albums. In my opinion. Alice Cooper doesn't send... I mean, when you look at the, the, the photos and watch the videos and watch the concert footage, you can go, yeah, okay, he's freebasing, he's like a crackhead. You could see it. But when you actually listen to the albums, they have this, like kind of focus, you know? And energy... Yeah, they don't sound like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's... It, you know, like, no, I mean... Dada sounds very... It's very realized... Yeah, no, the lyrical, the thing, is, and this will be a theme on my comments on from the inside, it just, why is he not viewed more as one of, like, the masterful lyrical writers of all time? Oh, for real. The, the lyrics are, the, the amount of sophistication in the way he crafts lyrics, even through his absolute lowest of lows with drugs and alcohol, it's just like, he, I mean, I, I'd love to know what Alice, Alice Cooper's IQ is. It has to be, like, super high. He yeah. seems like a very intelligent man. It makes sense because he, he was good friends with Jim Morrison towards the end. And Jim Morrison had a very high IQ. He was actually technically a genius. So, you know, and he was his drinking buddy. So if he was like a rock and roll intellectual drinking buddy of Jim Morrison, that tells you something about Alice Cooper's IQ. Because Jim Morrison's not just drinking with any idiot and becoming friends with any idiot, you know? And like you said, it shows in the lyrics. And yeah, I'm. Oh, you're. There's going to be a lot of gushing. I can tell in this episode because I got a lot to say. And there's a lot of like bigger concept albums from this period that I think this is much better than. So, and it's not to be like just the anti-establishment guy. It's just like it's just what I generally think. And um, yeah, and I do love the blackout period. And maybe in the spring, you know, well, not the spring. You'll be busy. It's rock and pot time. But sometime after that, we'll have to do one of the Blackout albums as well, because I love the Blackout period as well. Actually, I like Zipper, Zipper Catches Skin. I, I'm like, that's the one album I noticed that even people that like that period are a little on the fence about. But I don't know. I really like that album a lot. I think it's great. I don't, I don't hate it, but I would rank it as the lowest of those albums. It has a couple really uh, amazing songs that I like. I like, um, and it's... I like it's a really good hybrid of new wave and punk. It's probably the most punk I think of the, those four albums. Although if I had to, I think Special Forces is actually my yeah. I would say Special Forces is my favorite of those four. What would you say, Dada? Yeah, definitely. yeah. I love Dada. Dada is probably my second. Yeah, favorite, but I, I really love Special Forces. To me, that's just like 
every song is so catchy on that album. It's just such a fun album. It's a lot like a early Cars album, and I love the Cars a lot too. So it's not a bad thing. So Eric, what's your history with the man, the myth, Alice Cooper? Oh man, so I mean, Alice Cooper is one of those artists. Like I can't remember. There's so many different moments that I I kind of like. You could say were my moment where I discovered him. But I can't pinpoint which one it was because I saw him in Wayne's World. In Wayne's World, I saw it at a very young age. Um, I, you know, I knew School's Out, No More Mr. Nice Guy, because also at a young age, I saw Days Confused, and I loved those songs. But uh, so it's hard to pick what, like, what was the moment where I discovered Alice Cooper. But uh, he, much like Chris, I mean, he's kind of overtaking Kiss at this point. I always have a special spot in my heart for Kiss because they were, you know, my first band that I got into and at a young age. But, you know, just with everything else Cooper's done and, like, you know, just his music holds up a little bit better and he's still doing great things, whereas Kiss is kind of just, you know, phoning it in nowadays. Um, you know, I'm just, I, Alice Cooper's a guy I can respect a little bit more than Kiss. Um, I just, I, I love Alice, man. He's just, he's phenomenal. I just remember being a kid, man, and there was, you know, Kiss had Gene Simmons, who was kind of creepy, or kind of scary, but, like, you know, he kind of outgrew it, whereas Alice Cooper, man, some of that, like, you'd see 70s footage, like, when I'd be watching, like, VH1 Behind the Music, or, uh, like, VH1 or whatever would show music videos of Alice Cooper, like, old school, like, Alice Cooper footage of his concerts, that was some scary shit, man. Like, Kiss had the makeup and everything, but they were fun, they were running around, whereas Alice Cooper was doing some creepy shit, like, his beheading he had all the you know like the spiders on stage there's there's something real scary about him like you know kiss was fun he kiss was fun they're more like superheroes alice cooper was like a horror like he was horror you know there's something about that grainy like 70s footage it's like the texas chainsaw massacre like texas chainsaw massacre is something like about that grainy like dirty like 70s like that 70s like style that makes that first movie just so scary unlike the other ones there's something about that classic Alice Cooper footage it's like there's something just real scary about it you know I I remember too even uh, you know I'm an Iced Earth fan when Iced Earth released their uh, their CD where they did all these uh, cover songs uh, you know John Schaefer would talk about each artist like why he covered that artist and I remember him talking about Alice Cooper like man when I was a kid you know, Alice Cooper was on TV, like, I was fascinated by him, I loved his music, but I, I would have to hide behind the couch when he was on TV, and, and yeah, that was, that was Alice Cooper, man, I mean, man, but there was some, it was some fascinating about it, because it was so creepy, but there was some fascinating about it, I've been a fan, and then, you know, but I was more of, like, kind of a casual fan, I knew the hits and everything, but never really dived into the albums, and I didn't really dive into the albums until around 2015, when I went, went to go see, I was getting ready to go see Motley Crue on their farewell tour, and I knew Alice was opening, and I hadn't seen Alice Cooper live at that point. So I was like, well, I, I need to, like, kind of catch up on Alice Cooper. Need, let me dig in and, like, you know, you know, listen to the deep cuts, listen to full albums. And his music just blew me away, man. You know, listening to the deep cuts and the full albums, it blew me away. And uh, then I watched his, his documentary, too, before the show. Um, this uh, super duper Alice Cooper, which is a great, great documentary. I definitely recommend it to people. Um, I watched that, and so I was just like, I was really into Alice Cooper. And when I saw him in 2015, man, he just 
he blew Motley Crue off the stage, man. He had just, Alice Cooper came on and just blew me away where, like, Motley Crue came on. I was like, eh, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a fun show, but, yeah, Alice Cooper was better. And he's one of those guys, man, if he's usually in town, I try and catch him because I, I love seeing him. He always puts on the best show. He's still got it. You know, I always love the fact that, he, you know, he's one of these rock stars that doesn't get into politics and this and that because I, I always get annoyed with that. You know, he's always kind of been, he's just very cool, man. There's something about him. He's just such a cool guy. You know, he's very likable and he brings it. The guy's, you know, the guy's like, what, like around 70 something years old and he, he still goes out there and puts on like the greatest show ever. He always has a great backing band with him, which we'll get into when we talk about this album. Like no matter what era it is, he always has a great, he knows how to pick great musicians to back him, but. Man, I just, I love Alice, man. He's just phenomenal. Anytime he's in town, man, anytime he's nearby, I go and see him because I, I love Alice. You know, he's just, he's the best. Awesome. One thing I want to bring up, uh, our brother Mick Watkins had a, you know, he does his YouTube videos and he had just seen Alice Cooper uh, about a week and a half ago. And he mentioned something that you touched upon, Eric, uh, when you said like there was something generally generally creepy about some of his '70s performances that you saw, uh-huh. you know, clips from. And he was talking about like he he's doing Dead Babies, you know, is in his set, and he's doing yeah. And he just like in the '70s, he's bringing out like the baby dolls and smashing them with hammers and stuff. And Mix talks about how he looked around at the crowd. And this, yeah, Chris, this is going. He looked around at the crowd, and this is like a 2022 audience, and make, you know, put emphasis on this. He said, this is like 2022. And he could tell that half the crowd was like generally like disturbed by it. Like, what the fuck's <laughs> this? You know, and this is like a crowd, like, they're, like, this is, was a part of a rock festival where like Marilyn Manson was playing and, and, you know, other later Slipknot, Slipknot and like other like quote unquote extreme acts shock and yet rock, yeah. a lot of shock rock and yet alice cooper like owned all the other shock rockers coming out there smashing up baby dolls doing dead babies and we could tell like the, the 2022 audience was like just as shocked at if not maybe even more shocked than maybe an early 70s crowd would have been like like he still even in his 70s house come out there and there's just something generally disturbing and visceral about what he's doing especially if you're a kind of a i would just say like a softer kind of person that has like yeah. soft sensibilities <laughs> obviously guys like us we see the dark humor we know who alice is alice yeah. is really affable lovable guy that likes playing golf and he's a christian and he's been married to the same woman for like over 30 years like we all know that but if you don't know that you know, and you see Alice Cooper, you're like, what's, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> what's wrong with this guy? And I loved hearing that, and I loved hearing that Alice could still go out there and shock, like, scare the, scare the straights, you know? <laughs> and that's what makes it, that's the thing, like, it, listen, nothing against Kiss, you know, I'm a Kiss fan, but Kiss ain't scaring the straights, whereas Alice Cooper can and even still now, like, you know? And that's what makes him a really, van, you know, gonzo vanguard artist. And, you know, he's amazing. I'm not going to go too into this. All I could say, I'm going to point you to my YouTube videos because I did two very long YouTube videos about Alice Cooper and how I got into him. So if you want if you want to hear about my history of Alice Cooper, just watch those videos. That was actually the first time me and Chris had a, an exchange. I don't know if you remember this, Chris, mm-hmm. but, but you left a comment. But I actually remember that comment 
because it was the first time anyone ever kind of said something like this on one of my YouTube videos. You you said quote unquote thank you for this. Yeah, and, no, yeah. it was it was very entertaining. I enjoyed it. I didn't yeah. so much agree with all your picks, but I, I enjoyed watching. I appreciate that. And at first I was like, well, why is he thanking me? I'm just talking about Alice Cooper. And, and then I thought, oh, because, because he's a fan. He really loves Alice Cooper, and he likes seeing that someone's taking the time to really dive into his discography. I'm, I'm guessing that's why he said thank you. And that was kind of, it was kind of, it was a little milestone. It was a little first moment where I kind of thought about how what I'm doing, other fans might appreciate kind of a funny thing to think of but you know when you first go in when you first do a podcast or do a video you kind of just thinking of yourself a little bit but you don't really think about how there's a lot of people that connect with what you're saying and if they're fans and it just it opened things up to me a little bit so it that i never told you this chris but that comment meant uh, a lot to me and it kind of made me realize that yeah this is me having a, a conversation with other fans and that's what's really cool about podcasts and YouTube videos is that we're all sharing our love for these artists. So, um, yeah, definitely check out those videos. All I can say is, yeah, I got into them with trash because of Poison. You know, I saw the Poison video. The girls were hot in it. It was a really catchy. Yeah. It was a really catchy. We're going to talk about hot girls, too, when we talk about uh, nurses a little bit later on. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, me and Eric both have this nurse thing. Um, <laughs> we do. We, we've never actually discussed this, but I think this should be the episode where we discuss our yeah. nurse fetish. Um, <laughs> um, but... Yeah, so I got into it, but it was also a really catchy song, too. Like, I'm not one of these guys, like, you know, I I, I could, even as a preteen, you know, junior high, I would see videos, like hair metal videos with some sexy girls that the song was shit. I wasn't buying the album, but Poise had definitely a really catchy song. And it's still, I still think it's one of his greatest songs. I, you know, if you want to know my views about Trash, watch that video. But I got into him kind of, but I wasn't really so into Trash. So I didn't really do deep dive there. That wasn't until many years later. But it, I became a, you know, I hit, got some of his key albums, and then especially during the COVID lockdowns, which was a little bit before I did that video. That's when I kind of filled in the gaps and got the blackout period and all that stuff. Like the blackout period was still pretty new to me when I did that video, actually. But I was listening to it a lot. Like I had gotten really into it, you know. And I'm sure you did the same thing, Chris. It's like that thing. You get into like a K hole, you know, like it's, if you really get into something, you start listening to it a lot. Like, so I was like listening to the Blackout albums like nonstop for a couple of weeks, even though they were new to me. They were like my world right before I did that video. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, I love that period, too. I'm not I think I am. I am a bigger fan of the Alice Cooper band. That's my favorite period. I know on that video. I said this album that we're about to talk about was my favorite album, but I also, if you recall, Chris, what I said was, I know this is probably just some lockdown shit, because <laughs> literally we, we were locked down, <laughs> so I couldn't leave my condo. I was in Florida. I couldn't leave my condo, and you know, this was the spring. This was when even Florida was fucking locked down, so that tells you how, how what state we were in uh, with the pandemic, so... Uh, yeah, so I kind of, I, you know, th this album, obviously, if you're locked down and you're contained in a certain environment, you're, you're going to really connect with. Although I always was a big fan of it. And it's no longer my favorite Alice Cooper album on a whole, but I will, it's, I would say Killer's my favorite. Then, um, 
Dylan Dollar Babies is my second favorite. But this is this is my third favorite, and it's my favorite solo. So it is my favorite solo Alice Cooper album. So it's still pretty high up there. And But the first time I ever became aware of this album, which I didn't talk about on the video, so I'm just going to talk about this now, and then we'll jump into it, is I was staying one weekend at the Sunset Marquee. I was meeting up with a lady friend there who was like coming into town. Well, she was staying there. I, I had a place in L.A., but she was staying at the Sunset Marquee. So and uh, we were hooking up for the weekend. And in the room that she was in, the thing that the in the Sunset Marquee, just to let listeners know who don't know, it's this legendary hotel in West Hollywood where a lot of famous rock stars stayed. It's where, like, you know, the myth of like Led Zeppelin, a lot of their stories, how they threw TVs out the window and and all that kind of shit. And, you know, that that was all at the Sunset Marquee. Black Sabbath stayed there, like when they were first in America. Keith Moon used to do crazy shit there. So it's like this legendary, decadent rock and roll hotel. Spinal Tap shot some scenes from there. And so it's this legendary place. And I had never, I'd walked past it many times. It's not too, it's a little farther up than the Rainbow, but it's on the Strip. And so this was my first time staying in a room in the Sunset Marquee. And there, what they do is like on the nightstands, I guess each room has a different like classic rock album. They have the vinyl of a record on the nightstand position. And this album from the inside was the record. I had never heard of this album. I didn't know anything about it. I was a casual Alice Cooper fan at this point at a few of his key albums. But that's it. But I found there was something hypnotic about this album cover. Kind of kept looking at it, even though I'm like in this hotel room with this very attractive girl, and it's the fu- fucking sunset marquee. You know, I I keep kind of looking at this record. <laughs> There's just something about it. It's like this is a really cool album cover. Of course, the '70s. It's like the peak for album art and these amazing gatefolds and all that. But there was just something about this record that I kept looking at. And a few weeks later, that's when I, I got the, I ordered the CD from like the Amazon marketplace. It was like, you know, some 90s CD I got. And that was the first time I listened to this album. So that along with being locked down with this album, that there, there was just something about this record where the album art threw me into it, you know, and that's what amazing album art should do you know like a lot of those amazing like kiss 70s album covers or led zeppelin album covers there was just something about this record and eventually i bought the vinyl copy i you know i found it someplace a used copy and i was listening to that before we did this but yeah so that was my introduction to this album i always had this is in general this is the type of album i normally don't like that's the funny thing. I normally, I'm not a huge concept album guy, and I always say I don't like things that sound too Broadway. Normally, I'm pretty consistent with what I like and don't like, even though I do have a diverse taste. I think I am consistent, but I don't know, this is one of those. There's always an exception to every rule. This album's the exception to that rule. To me, this is a concept album that actually works. I feel it has an intimacy to it that other concept albums don't have. And I'll just say it right here, I, I like this album much better than The Wall. And I yep. I can understand, like, objectively, I can kind of hear why The Wall is a bigger album and why more people connect with it. But personally, to me, this is more, this is like intimate, this is like an intimate concept album. There's just something more personal and 
even though the the production's kind of slick and you know you got top notch musicianship and he's co-writing the lyrics with Bernie Topin, you know, Elton John's partner, but also Alice's drinking buddy at, and they used to drink at the Rainbow, uh, upstairs at the Rainbow Bar. At, he was part of the Hollywood Vampires, so obviously that's how they met. And even though it's a very slick kind of like Elton John sounding album, it's there's something about it that's very personal and intimate and I just connect with this more than something like The Wall, which to me is like broader and more sweeping. And yeah, there's just something about it. Like, so to me, it's like, this is like one of the few concept albums where I feel it's very personal and has a smaller scale that I connect with. And you also brought up something too, Chris, that, and we'll get more into this with certain tracks. There is some foreshadowing of the blackout period, certain tracks. It's kind of like, there's a mixture of like disco rock, which actually I'm a fan of. I love, love a lot of that late seventies, like dynasty kiss and, like Donna Summer's Hot Stuff. I love that song. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like that mixture, that late 70s kind of mixture of rock and disco. And you got that on a, a couple songs here. But you also do have a foreshadowing of the new wave, Alice, on a couple tracks. And you do have a foreshadowing of like Flush the Fashion and stuff like that, too. And yet some of the more show tuney stuff that he had been doing with Bob Ezrin. So it's kind of it's kind of a perp, it's a transitional album transitions him from the 70s to 80s and that's kind of my sweet spot with a lot of things with movies and music i love the 70s kind of folding into the 80s i also love the 60s into the 60s uh, 60s folding into the 70s as well i don't know something about decades clashing in the other decades i really like actually i like the early 90s as well for a similar reason so i don't know there's just something really cool when you hear it's kind of like when different musical thing you know different things are happening and they're kind of colliding and it's kind of an exciting moment you know and this album is at such a moment it's like you hear you're here in the 70s and 80s colliding and so that's that's one of the reasons why i really love this album and let's uh i guess we'll just get into it and chris you're our guest so tell us what you think of the title track from the inside well um for me well, and you mentioned the album art. I, let me just note on that real quick. Oh yeah, go ahead. I think this is by far his best album cover, and it's it's simple, but it's also, of course, if you look up close to it, you see a lot of stuff going on in the reflection of his eyes, and then of course the way the vinyl folds out and everything. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's a striking album cover, and like you couldn't help but notice it in the record store, I'm sure. Um, but it just sums up his character, and I, I do love that. So, shout out to Pacific Ioneer who did a lot of his albums. Great a guy named Ernie Cephalo who did a lot of the artwork for. Him. Oh, it's amazing, and I agree 100. percent I mean, that's why it caught my interest, even when I was in a hotel room with an attractive woman. I'm looking at this album cover. That's how <laughs> it's a it's like a piece of art. And I, I agree with you. I think it's in Alice had a lot of great album covers, but to me, this is his greatest. I entirely agree. But yeah, I mean, you should have been paying paying attention to the girl you're with. Hey, I, like the rest of hey I, I multitask. You know, I hear you. yeah. yeah. Uh, for the opener, I mean, the, well, the first, uh, you know, I and I haven't. I, it's, I guess it's been about a year since I've like fully sat down and dove into this record. I hear different songs come up on playlists, but this one, uh, first thought that comes in is dig that funky bass line. I mean, it's like uh, it, it's definite. This this song I think is one of the closest that has the disco feel to it. Um, yeah. It's got that vibe, but it also doesn't detract from how strong the songwriting is in it. And it's 
and you know, and it's a just the concept of this record, like you said, is <clears throat> it's it's easily palatable for you where you can get where he's coming from because of the whole him being locked up in a sanitarium. Because I guess, and also rehab wasn't really the thing it is today. So it's it was back, and a lot of times they would just throw you in the nut house. Yeah. Um, which I'm wondering if that's why he wound up there, but, um, but it, you know, it, it's, and there's a whole, it's going to be an overarching theme in this whole thing is very easily digestible, listenable music, but with dark ass lyrics, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of dark stuff on this oh, record. Yeah. Um, but I, this, uh, this song is a good way to open it up and, it, you know, certain lines like, where's my makeup, where's my face? You know, because he reali- realizing he can't hide behind the character that he is on stage, and and also the title kind of has a double meaning inside a sanitarium or inside of himself. You know, so it's yeah, it's it, it, it's got a double meaning, and it's just as I get, as I said, I'm going to gush about his lyric writing a lot on this. So, um, but it's it's the perfect song that kind of sets the stage for the album. A little too disco-y for me, but I, I never skip it. It's a great song. Yeah. See, I don't mind the disco-y thing. That's the thing. I like some late 70s kind of, especially that hybrid, like I was saying earlier, between disco and rock. And maybe it's also because like, that's like the first music I remember hearing. Um, so it might, there's just something about it that gives me that a, a little sense of wonder because it's like the first music I ever heard because my mom was into a lot of that stuff and disco. So those were like in the late 70s, early 80s. Those were the first it, literally the first the first music I ever heard was disco so maybe it's because of that but yeah like you said too the lyrics are amazing and also I think Alice is also I think an underrated singer yeah and, and we'll talk more about this when we hit the ballots but yeah I think his phrasing and how he really he has a quality and it it doesn't surprise me because I know Alice in addition to rock and roll like his his buddy Jim Morrison uh, uh, he was like into more traditional old school music and like Frank Sinatra and like Frank Sinatra, he knew how to like, he kind of like acted a song. That's all I can say. Like he acted a song. Elvis was a little like this as well, where it's, he's really like ringing every line for its emotional impact. And there's a lot of personality. And that's the thing. I mean, again, I don't want to be bad. I know a lot of people love the wall. I'm not a fan of it myself. But I know a lot. I can appreciate it from a certain technical level. But one thing, too, is this, like, I don't know. Like, to me, that like I don't personally connect so much. Even though I do like some of the early and mid-70s Pink Floyd albums, I don't think there's a lot of, I don't know. I don't connect with the emotions so much when they sing. I feel like there's just something. I, some people you connect with, some people you don't, for whatever reason. Alice is just a guy that I connect with when he sings. Like, I don't know. I feel like he's a guy I can have a drink with. I don't feel like I could have a drink with Roger Waters. I feel like he'd spit on me. probably would, too. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like I'm picking something up. And I don't think Dave Gilmore's a bad guy, but I don't think he'd have a drink with me either. You know? Whereas Alice Cooper, I don't know, he just has a certain vibe. There's a sort of a accessibility. Maybe because he's a scrappy Italian-American from Detroit. You know, maybe that's why, you know. There's just something about him where there's not a pretentiousness. Even when he does something like this, and I think that's the thing. Alice himself, his personality offsets what any other artist doing an album like this would be pretentious. But Alice offsets that. Even like a lot of the, the Black Alice, you know, period. Like those are albums that if it was like a colder, more new wave style singer, 
you know, I don't think we'd connect with them as much. It's like Alice is this grounded presence that he's like, he's this guy that, you know, he could drink a Budweiser and tell you about his Italian grandmother. And like, he just feels like a real person. I guess that's what I'm getting at. And from the inside, like from the beginning, like you just, you're, you're in it. You're in it. One of my favorite movies too is, uh, from, um, is, um, Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And I just watched that the other day. Amazing. This is like Over the Cuckoo's Nest of albums. And, you know, it's again, it's just like how you connect with Nicholson. Like, he's just this cool guy. You connect with him. You know, he's got this sardonic, you know, humor and this kind of knowing worldview. Like, it's like people that are hip to kind of the bullshit and the con of the world, you know, and you all kind of give each other a look. You're like, you kind of like, yeah, you're someone that kind of gets it. And you get that vibe from Alice. Like, he's just this guy that you kind of understand like he gets the bullshit but yet has a sense of humor about it and it's like in the same way you're kind of with jack nicholson's character in that film you just kind of you're you're jo- you're like kind of connecting with him likewise out of the gate you connect to faust you're like part of this journey with him like you're going into the insane asylum with him and it's and, and it's a catchy song that's the thing like uh, chris was saying these songs are really poppy and like the best pop music, the best pop music has an undercurrent of darkness, you know, and some of the like uh, Beatles songs like Getting Better and stuff like that, where there was this, you know, some dark lyrics that would be thrown at you or Cheap Trick would do this a lot. You know, I love when uh, that that shade happens where it's something that's poppy and catchy, but yet there's darkness creeping into the lyrics and the doors were great at that as well. And you can hit, like, Alice Cooper is a guy that knows what he's doing, and he's working with some really talented people, and it's a catchy song, and it's a great way to start off this album. What do you think of it, Eric? Oh, man, I love this song. Um, I, I almost didn't want to, like, make this my favorite song on the album, because I figured that would make me sound like kind of a, you know, like a casual fan, like, oh, he likes the first song on the album, like, uh, he probably doesn't listen to this album much, but I can't deny it, man, this is like... This is my favorite song off the album. It's just, it's so good. It's just, uh, I like the, I don't know if you watched The Strange Case of Alice Cooper, the the concert uh, video. Um, I love the music in that one. It's definitely, it, it's a little bit more rocking. Like, the production on this one, it's a little bit more polished, and the guitars are a little bit more buried, whereas, like, the live version, the guitars are a little bit more up front. I think I appreciated this song a little bit more when I heard that version. But I do love, like, this version with the more disco-y kind of sound. Because I do like, I, I like some disco. You know, I love, like, ABBA, you know, who had, like, kind of a disco-y sound. And, you know, a lot of disco stuff from the 70s. It's pretty damn catchy. But I, I love this song, man. Just a great way to start the album. You know, I love, like, the those background vocals, the female background vocals uh, that are in this album. You know, I think uh, he borrowed the the girls that did the background vocals on Tomorrow and Tonight. Um, <laughs> but they sound better. They didn't mix them up as loud. <laughs> yeah, well, Al's probably paid them more. <laughs> um, but, man, it's just, it, it's phenomenal. And also, too, like that, it's kind of like that twin guitar sound, like a Thin Lizzy, where it's like, it's twin guitars, but it's not like really metallic twin guitars. It's more of a, you know, just a, like a classic rock kind of melodic guitar. It's just so phenomenal. Um, the lot, you know, again, that, that concert video, which is, I definitely recommend anyone who, who loves this album or just loves Alice Cooper, uh, get yourself a copy of that Strange Case of Alice Cooper DVD. 
It's a really great concert performance. I mean, Alice's voice is a little bit, like, shot just from being, like, you know, so coked out during the show. But uh, the, the performance is amazing. And there's, like, these, like, he has, like, alcohol, like, these, like, giant, like, dancing bottles of alcohol, like, come <laughs> yeah. up on stage with him. And it's just, like, the freakiest thing ever. Like, if you were high or, like, on acid, like, watching this video, you'd probably, like, start freaking the fuck out. It's just the craziest shit. But I love this song, man. It's my, and it's my favorite song on the album. But, spoiler alert, there's a hell of a lot more good songs on this album. So, Chris, what do you think of uh, Wish I Was Born in Beverly Hills? I love this song. It's a killer riff that kind of runs through the whole thing. And, uh... It's an awesome song as far as lyrically because it's about how, like, the high-class lifestyle, you, you may all, but it'll still drive you insane and you're going to wind up in a padded room. So, um, <laughs> it's like, and I love the line, I swear I couldn't drink half as much as she spills. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, she bit like a dog and screamed like hell. You ain't taking me to no padded cell. You better take all your hands off my high-priced tail. I mean, it's just... I mean, the lyrics are just amazing, and you know, and it's Alice knew that lifestyle because he was he was rolling in dough by this point in his career. So it's uh, he he definitely had that perspective on it, and um, one of the more musically, it's one of the more sophisticated songs from his his whole catalog. I think. I mean, the the playing on this, and it you definitely hear kind of the Elton John type thing in this with uh, yeah. a lot of the playing, especially the, the drum part and everything with. <clears throat> almost kind of reminds you of Philadelphia Freedom a little bit, you know. It's, I mean, he's got three guys from his band playing on this, so it, it makes sense that uh, that it would sound like that. But yeah, it's. I could see why certain Alice fans were probably turned off by this record, and, so, and maybe even by this song in particular, because it's way out of the the norm for what they're they're used to. But with me, I just I just love him as a storyteller, and I'm not even a lyrics person, but for some reason. I'm always drawn to the lyrics that he writes, especially on this record. And it's a uh, no, it's a it's a great second track. It, it's not single material, but I, but I love the song. Yeah, also I, I'm glad you bring up his lyric writing so much because I I agree. And there, there's so much I I love lyrics that have a lot of dark humor to them. And Alice is like the king of dark humor. And you know he he knows what he's doing lyrically. I mean, like even think like again, I don't want to trash other people, but like think of like what John Lennon was writing in the seventies. To me, not as clever as this. This is closer to like Beatles John than I think Solo John was. There's more humor. There's more fun. There's more wordplay. Uh, you know, this is top shelf up. This to me is it's close to what I think Bon Scott and like David Lee Roth were doing, which also had a lot of humor and wordplay. This is really clever lyric writing. You know, I had my period where I lived in Beverly Hills. So uh, I and, and I'm also a, and I'm a scrappy Northeast Italian guy. So it got maybe there is personal reasons why I connect with this album a lot. And you know, getting into that moment, getting lost in the splendor of it all, but it might it might lead you to an insane asylum. <laughs> you know, and it's an amazing song. I agree. I was going to bring up the Elton John thing. You already did. I mean, I, this is the one that sounds obviously he's co-writing these songs with. Elton John's writing partner Bernie Topin, and he's using a lot of the, the the guys, the guitarists and bassists from Elton John's band. So yeah, this song I do think is the one that sounds the most like an Elton John song, even though it's like one of the more rocking tracks. But it sounds like one of those like early to mid seventies more rocking Elton John songs. Actually, it's funny for it's weird because for Alice, I agree this isn't a single, but I feel like if Elton John was singing this, this 
could have been a hit. If, if you know what I mean, like I feel like Elton singing this, people would have thought it was a catchy, fun rock song about Beverly Hills. But Al singing it, it becomes something else, and it's not what Al's fans want to hear him do. You know, whereas whereas I think the opposite. I think, especially in the late seventies, where Elton was going through one of his like blackout periods, where he suddenly he was fading a little bit. It was before his comeback. You know, lower than zero. I feel like this is what Elton fans would have liked to hear Elton John sing, you know, and I think at this point, was it 78 or 79? 78. Yeah, seven, in 78, I feel this, this, this could have been a potential hit for Elton John, but not for, but not for Alice Cooper. <laughs> uh, uh, but it really catchy song, and I do, it's like, a, it's a great second track, and it definitely sets up the next song really well. What do you think of... Wish I Were Born in Beverly Hills, Eric. Oh, man, it's a great song. It's it's interesting both you guys pointed out that it sounds like a, an Elton John song, which now you say it, I can definitely hear, because I wrote in my notes that it reminds me of, like, a, a Destroyer-era, like, Kiss song, like a Bob Ezrin-produced Kiss song. It also has, like, kind of that, like, a Kiss sound to it as well. Um, but now, now you mentioned it does have, like, an Elton John sound as well. But man, it's just a great, catchy song, you know? Um, you know, I guess this one was written about some spoiled rich girl that he met while he was in the insane asylum, who, even like with her privileged life and whatnot, ended up, you know, in the nut house. Um, so it's just, it's a fun song, you know, um, real catchy, real fun. And, uh, you know, Alice Cooper is like a phenomenal lyricist. You know, very underrated as a lyricist, in my opinion, because no one ever talks about his lyrics. And it's funny, too, that you say that because Rolling Stone, like, actually, you know, kind of trashed this album, which that's how you know it's a good album because Rolling Stone <laughs> hated it. Yeah. Ro- Rolling Stone don't know shit about music. They they got Stone, they got Stones rolling out their ass. But, uh, basically, they, they trashed his lyric writing on this album, on this album, saying, like, oh, he's being too serious, oh, he's being too serious. You know, yeah, was, I noticed that, and I was just like, are you guys daft? Like, no, there's a lot of dark humor in this. Year. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, what the fuck are, what, what were they listening to? Were they just, <laughs> yeah. like, previewing, like, 30 seconds of a song? You know, yeah, like, what the hell? To it. <laughs> yeah. But man, this is a great song. Like you said, I, I'm pretty sure if Elton John released this song, it probably would have been a bigger hit. And it's a damn shame the song didn't get any bigger. So he did. He did it. He did it on the that. There's a great live album from the Dirty Diamonds period, which is a great album. I love Dirty Diamonds. And he he did this song on that tour. It's part of that live album. Yeah, have you guys I'm surprised. Heard that? It's pretty good. You know, I, I haven't heard it, but I do know there are like a couple live albums he has where like he would pull out a couple songs from this album. Which he, yeah. he doesn't pull out a lot of songs from this album, which I'm shocked because even Alice Cooper himself has said like it's he feels like it's one of the best albums he's ever written. Yeah, well, he knows he himself personally loves the album, but he knows that's not one of the big albums of fans. But, you know, he, from time to time, he's done, you know, yeah, he did Wish I uh, Was Born in Beverly Hills. He did Nurse Rosetta at some shows. He did the title track at a few. Every now and then, every now and then he'll dust he'll off. He'll bust one out. Yeah. So, um, Chris, what do you think of the third track, The Quiet Room? Uh, it's, it's another example of the ballad-making magic of Alice and Dick Wagner because, uh, you know, Dick helped write... Uh, only women bleed and I never cry on previous albums. They, they just had like a magic touch for ballads. And then that even continued further on, on Dada, there's past the gun around on 
Hey Stupid, Dick wrote uh, Might As Well Be On Mars, which is one of my favorite Alice songs. Um, it's just they had some kind of magic chemistry with ballads, and then you throw Bernie Taupin in on top of that, and you've got a mega ballad here with uh, even though it's a heavy subject. Obviously, he wrote this for his wife Cheryl. Uh, it was a, a love song of. It's, it's just funny that it you know a love song about suicidal ideation, <laughs> something that only Alice Cooper can pull off. Um, the synthesizer effect is I do date the song a little bit. I'm not crazy about that, but it's it's also kind of. Sometimes that things are good when they're dated, and it's like this. Yeah, this song will take you back to 1978. Um, but you can really hear the pain in his voice when he when he did the vocal track on this. And it must have been really difficult for him to record this because it's he had to revisit some seriously painful times when he did it. Yeah, it's it's an amazing song. Um, this is my third favorite from the album. I am glad you brought this up too, the ballot thing. This is the thing about me and Alice and his ballots. I think, it, I, I think he's underrated as a lyricist. I think he's underrated overall. But one of the things that I think he's probably most underrated by is his ballots. I think Alice Cooper sings amazing ballots. I think he has an amazing voice. The way he croons a ballot, uh, I just always connect with him. He's able to make songs that other artists, you know, like even like you and me, you know, from the album before this, like that, I love it too. That's a song that a lot of singers, if they sang it, would be really corny. But Alice makes it not corny. There's just something about how he sings the song and uh, the lyrics that there's just something very authentic and real about it. And you know, I never cry. You know, only women bleed. Oh, I love his. 70s ballads. I, lo- I think Alice sings, but even into his like you know um, glam metal period, I thought like you know some of the stronger tracks from like Trash and Hey Stupid were the ballads. I think yeah, I think he sings amazing ballads. And in fact, yeah, I mean, as you'll find out, t- two of my favorite tracks on this album are the ballads on it. And this is an amazing song. The lyrics are amazing. You know, the the California air, your nightgown on the stairs. I mean, that's poetry. You know, it's amazing. This is like Jim Morrison type stuff. It's amazing. And, and and so much feeling. I love that line, too. When he goes to the quiet room, knows me more, knows more about me than my wife. Yeah. Yeah. And you feel and you feel every line. That's the thing. It's not just that these are great revealing lyrics. His singing, the way he croons it. And I think it's an amazing song. It has a lot of power. And, but subtle power that's not trying too hard. It sounds very organic and real. And oh man, this was one I really connected with during the pandemic, <laughs> during the lockdown. I was listening to The Quiet Room quite a bit. And, but I still do. It's an amazing song. One of his best ballads. I love it. What do you think, Eric? Oh man, this song is just beautiful. And like you said, man, Alice can, Alice can really do a freaking amazing ballad. He just, that crooning voice, like, he has, like, that, that, like, snarky, like, snotty, like, evil, wicked-sounding voice, but, man, also that voice, too, can just turn out an amazing, heartfelt ballad. Like, you really feel, like, every ounce of pain and, like, suffering in his voice when he sings this. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful song, but, like, lyrically, it's just so dark and, like, real, like, kind of tragic in a way, just real... You know, just you're you're right, and the fact that he probably had to go to a you know he went through he went to a dark place when writing these lyrics, man, and uh, it really you can really feel it. 
Um, I, I love this song. There's really nothing else more I can say that you guys haven't said already. I, I love this tune. And uh, great way to start the album where you got, like, you know, two kind of, like, you know, upbeat, rocking songs. And then you go to, like, this kind of dark ballad. Just a great album so far. Yeah, so, it has great sequencing. It know. does, yeah. Really, like like you said, man, you know, I'm not a big fan of The Wall either. I, I don't think it's a bad album. I, there's some songs I like, but... I'll, I'll take this album any day over the wall. You know, especially too, because you could take... I can listen to an individual song from this album, and it'll sound just as good, you know, on its own, as opposed to, like, you know, even listening to it as, like, the full album. Whereas The Wall, there are certain songs on that album that, like, you can't really listen to unless you're listening to the full album. And I think that's the test of a true, like, amazing concept album. Yeah, I think it's also... It's like any movie or work of art... It's like, how much do you connect with the central protagonist? You exactly. Know? And Alice just feels more real. Like, I can relate to Alice Cooper or Roger Waters, David Gilmore. Like, I, I can't relate to those guys. David Gilmore, if I tried to go have a beer with him, he would make me listen to Momentary Lapse of Reason, <laughs> and it pissed me off. <laughs> and Roger Waters who spit on you for being uh, a capitalist, even though he listened to man. <laughs> even though he listened to man. I, I tell him, like, I played Van Halen on the jukebox, and you'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> Where's Alice from Love It? Yeah. Uh, okay, we're, we're going to go to you first, Chris, But with this next track. But then me and Eric are going to digress about <laughs> nurses a bit. Although you might join in, too, if you have a thing for nurses as well. And yeah. when I say nurses, I'm not talking about, like, real nurses. I mean, like, 70s, 80s movie nurses. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because <laughs> obviously we know real nurses are kind of different. But... um but what do you think of Nurse Rosetta? Oh, well, yeah, be- before you get, I get into it, yeah, I, it'll be three of us that have that finish. Just oh, there you go. <laughs> right on. Okay. Fuck yeah. How, how can you not be into that? But, uh, no, uh, some more kind of funk infusion on uh, the, the main riff kind of reminds me a little bit of the title track from Go to Hell. I think he kind of went back to that a little bit. And it's, you know, it, it's a song that uh, seems to deal with issues of temptation and and faith because like, you bring some religious talk into it which anyone who knows Alice knows him and his wife both grew up as pastor's children so um, and he definitely pushed away from his faith during these years so I imagine sobering up in a sanitarium probably like oh my god what am I doing to myself so I'm sure that made him think on that stuff but some of the lyrics in this man oh my god this is one of those where this is foreshadowing of the blackout because it's it's got some lyrics that you could easily have heard on special forces and especially zipper catches skin it's got what was it she's so creative with a bar of soap and so invented with a stethoscope (laughs) yeah my pulse she gotta hold my hand i blow the fuse on the encephalogram and i i want credit for being able to say that word very um, impressive, very impressive. Yeah, yeah hell yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's a great song. It, it, I mean, it's kind of a silly song, but it but it works it works for what it is. And yeah, again, the lyric writing just incredible. Yeah, I, I disagree with you slightly because I don't think this is a silly song, Chris. I respectfully no. disagree. I think I mean it's there's an element of humor to it, but I think um, like you sang though, it's about wrestling with temptation and. It's uh, him focusing on this nurse that's attractive, and it's my favorite song on the album. So there you go. Really? Yeah, I love Nurse All Rosetta. Right. Yeah, it, well, if you know, people who know me know I'm a big fan of like funk music and R and B. I love seventies R and B. You know, I love you know James Brown and George Clinton and a lot of that stuff. 
So this is like that real sweet spot. Whereas there was like, um, I guess you could say disco hybrid on like the first song, the title track. This is like funk rock hybrid. And, and there's a little touch. This is one that not as much as a few other songs, but there's a little touch of that new wave element. I think in the chorus, especially you can hear a little bit of where he's going in the 80s with the song as well. And like you also brought up though, Chris, the lyrics are really clever. You know, this is like top MC type lyrics. You know, it could have, could be hip hop lyrics. They're real, uh, like back when, you know, hip hop artists were like poets, you know, in the 80s and 90s. But anyway, this is, um, an amazing song. I love the riff. It's funky. I love the groove. It comes in perfectly, you know, after Quiet Room. But I might, you know, I'll have to admit, yeah, I have a little bit of a 70s, 80s movie nurse fetish. So that could yeah. play into it. <laughs> it's like Eric's like really excited about this. But yeah, I think, I don't know, maybe it's because when I was a kid, I my you know, this is the 80s. Like parents were looser than parents like nowadays, you know. They let us see certain kinds of movies, and we had HBO and stuff. So yeah, there was um obviously there was American Werewolf in London, Jenny. Oh O'Connor. yes, Nurse okay. Price. Yeah, and also Halloween too with Pamela uh, Susan Shoup. Yeah. So so these two nurses from these two horror movies, you know, I saw as a kid on HBO, and they were both very sexy nurses. So I think um. Partially because of that, just those two movies alone, I kind of, as, at an early period, I don't know, it, it, there was some sexual awakening there. But so I always felt that nurses were sexy. Like it, my favorite Sonic Youth album cover is Sonic Nurse, which has kind of a sexy nurse on it. It's a great album too. But uh, there's just something about the image of a woman in a nurse's outfit that, yeah, it, it turns me on. It's a sexy idea. <laughs> so, so the song plays into that. So I do think it's generally a catchy, well-written, fun, rock, funk, slightly new wave-ish hybrid. But it's also just, God damn it, Nurse Rosetta sounds really hot. So it, it, the, song, the song turns me on. What can I say? I just got to admit it. But it's a hot song. So what do you think, Eric? And tell, go talk about your nurse fetish as well. <laughs> Oh man, uh, this song it, it rules, and, and like you said, it's, it's got like a new wave sound to it, like a funky like new wave sound, um, which obviously was like you know the direction Alice was gonna be headed after this album in the eighties. Um, I just love it, man. I love that you know Alice, you know Cooper's snarl that he sings with. Uh, I, I always took it away as maybe it was like a, he met a priest. Who like uh, you know couldn't like be with anyone because he's like devoted to his faith and sees a nurse and like starts like you know getting tempted uh, to be with this nurse and honestly I can't blame him because yeah god damn it I nurses are fucking sexy dude like holy shit I love <laughs> Chris Price from American Werewolf in London you know I got my appendix taken out and, you know and I was in the hospital for like like about two weeks I think. And let me tell you something, there was no Nurse Price <laughs> taking me home at the end of the day. So it's like stewardesses. They don't look the way they did in movies. Yeah. I don't know. I can't tell False you. False advertising, I, man. False advertising. I think we're all too young. Uh, this is one of the rare cases where we're all equally as young as Eric in this regard. <laughs> where we're all too young to really know if this was a real time period. Like, was there a time period where nurses and stewardesses were really hot? Or is this just fantasy? I don't know, because ever since I was a kid, And, and also, they too, weren't. like, they seem more, in the movies and whatnot, they seem very willing to, uh, 
they, they felt bad for you because you're in the hospital, and we're willing to uh, make you feel a little better, if you know what I mean. Yeah, oh, I love Ch- uh, yeah Nurse Price. Not only oh she my god, Price, she not only does see. I mean, yeah, he's a handsome guy. I get it. He's yeah, got, yeah. He's got dark side, and you know, and all that stuff. So I get it. But it's great. She takes him back to her flat, and she's got this huge flat in London. Even though she's Dude, a how she affords that, I don't know. She's a fucking nurse. She's got this huge flat. And she, like, immediately, you know, has a shower with him. It's very sexy. But, of course, how does that... I mean, that's... And that's the magic of that film. It plays into... It's like, um, you know, it's wish fulfillment. Like, we all kind of, like... Wouldn't it be cool to become a werewolf and have sex with a, uh, a sexy nurse woman that has a really nice apartment that takes you back yeah. there? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Oh, and I want to throw out another honorable mention. Uh, Terry from Three's Company. Holy shit, like, I watched Three's Company as a little kid, like, you know, a real little kid, like, first grade, I was watching Three's Company on Nick at Night, you know, after all my cartoons ended, it would be, like, go from Nickelodeon to Nick at Night, and I'd watch Three's Company right before bed, and I had the biggest crush on Suzanne Summers. but then, like, you know, as the show went on, Suzanne Summers went away, then I see this woman, Terry, and I'm like, whoa, you know, and she was a nurse, I'm like, god Damn, who is this? You know, Priscilla Barnes. Oh my God, sexy. It's sexy, and I think it's too because you know they're gonna like examine you. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's sexy stuff. Uh, Chris, it's you like when I go to the doctor, some like you know old like you know sixty year old Indian guy sticks his hand sticks a stethoscope down my pants and tells me to cough, and I'm like, uh. I, I have one story. I went to a, a clinic once in Hollywood. <laughs> Oh shit! And I was there. there? I was there with my wife at the time. So (laughs) we go into this clinic in Hollywood, and let's just—I'm getting. I need something checked out uh, below the waist. Let's just say that. Oh (laughs) shit! Hold on. And it's the only time in my life. So the doctor, this the quote-unquote doctor at this clinic, looks like a like if you if there was like a porn with a doctor, a sexy lady doctor. She's this really, really attractive brunette, long black hair and glasses, wearing like, you know, the doctor coat. And it's just like, I was like, to myself, and Kathy immediately, my ex, I probably shouldn't say her by name, but whatever. My ex, she just gives me this look immediately like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) And it's just like, and she gives me this exam in front of my wife. It was one of the hottest sexual experiences of my life. That reminds me, there's like a a movie like Drew Barrymore and Ben Stiller, where like she shoots him and like it's she accidentally shoots him or something, like it's near his crotch. So they're in the hospital and they're like, we wanted to, like they asked the doctor and it's a sexy Asian woman. And they're like, can you just check to make sure, you know, everything's fine down there? And, And she's like, yeah, and she just... Boom, like, launches her hand, like, into his, like, crotch, and it's just, like, feeling him up and shit. <laughs> this is very it's, similar. It's it like, reminded me of that. I forget was, what the movie's called, but it seems... It was very similar, and she was just, like, laughing at everything I said, and, <laughs> and she's, like, staring at me. And in a perverse way, the fact that my wife was in the room with me just made it, like, kind of sexier in a way. <laughs> <laughs> That's <is> pretty <laughs> She didn't ask you why you had a pistol in your pants. It's, you know, it's friction. You know what's funny? Like, it, it's funny, like, you know, I remember watching, like, Paul Stanley videos and whatnot. You know, like, 
this nurse went down on me in my 505s. I'm like, man, Paul Stanley goes to the fucking doctor a lot. What's wrong with that? <laughs> well, you know, you, you go to enough glo- glory holes, you know, you got to pick up. Yeah, get checked you, out. <laughs> you got to get checked out every now and then. See, Paul uh, would actually like, you know, if like he had like was being felt up by like a 60 year old like Indian doctor. You know, <laughs> I don't like that. No, you know, Paul wants more of a modern nurse. Like, it's a big guy with muscles. <laughs> like some big Russian dude, like, I check you out. <laughs> so, I just care about my health, that's all. <laughs> okay. okay, so let's wrap this first yeah, what side What song are we on now? <laughs> <laughs> you got to play, I don't know what the sexy, well, I guess Nurse Rosetta. That's, that, that's yeah. it. That's the sexy nurse song. <laughs> I don't think there's a sexier nurse song than Nurse Rosetta. It's kind of the ultimate sexy nurse song. Yeah. So, but it goes into Millie and Billy. Holy shit. Um, do you know much about, Chris, do you know who Marcy Levy is? Just what I was able to find on Wikipedia. I did. Uh, I think she she went by the name Marcella Detroit also. But, I yeah, I don't really know much about her. She's great on this song, though. She sang also uh, on Lay Down Sally, that Eric Clapton Oh, she hit. did? Yeah. Really? Yeah, and she was, apparently was a member of Bananarama for a period there. There yeah, you go. I love Bananarama. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah, so what do you think of Millie and Billy, Chris? Oh, it's one of my favorite duets and uh, it, it, she's awesome on it the, the lyrics are insane of course you know god made love crazy so he wouldn't feel alone um it kind of has like a real grandeur to it as the song goes on and with the you know i do also love that it kind of reveals itself towards the end of the song that they are both murderers and they're together <laughs> and uh uh, you know, like the line and I liked your late husband Don such torture his memory brings all sliced up and sealed tight in baggies guess love makes you do funny things it's like how that's just so twisted and um when I but listening back to it I was like how did this not wind up on the natural born killer soundtrack it would be so perfect for that movie for real you know because it's it's almost like the movie was patterned after it but it's yeah it's I don't know he just he's a he's brilliant at doing making this palatable love song with really fucking dark lyrics and that's that's what i love about it yeah it's a it's a cool song it's not it's not one of my favorites it's a little show tuny-ish but Al's as usual like he grounds it with his voice and i do like it there is this dark undercurrent that makes it a little cooler and i do there's a part of me i'm not a big musical guy for the most part I'm actually not either, but for yeah. some reason he makes There are it two musicals I do like. There are, and I, I'm curious what they are. I, I am a huge fan. Well, my favorite filmmaker is Brian De Palmer. So I'm a huge fan of um, The Phantom of Paradise. And I this that's a musical. Yeah, that is a musical. I, a musical. I, it doesn't like have constant music songs like some musicals, but it is a musical. And this song and um, some of the more, you know, this and I would say like Jackknife Johnny, they have a little bit of a quality that reminds me of something that could be in Phantom Paradise or like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like, you know, they're they're very musical. It's a musical kind of number, but there's a darkness to it. There's a little bit of a darkness to it. And because of that, I can kind of get into it. You know, it reminds me a little of a song that could have been in Phantom of Paradise, you know. So I, I, I dig it. What are the two musicals you like, Eric? Um, so, well, apparently I like three musicals. I do love Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. Um, but Jesus Christ Superstar, and I, I have a soft spot for the movie Hair. Yeah, I don't, I don't I like, like that hippie shit. Yeah. I you, know, you know what's I like funny is... Uh, 
Grease is alright. I like Grease. Oh, Grease is okay. <laughs> you don't like, uh, Chris doesn't like Grease. <laughs> I'm not a musical you know, fan really uh, at all, though. Yeah. Cleon from the Warriors is in the movie Hair. Yeah. Is he? He's the black guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all right. I don't know. I can't. I don't like the, the, all those hippies up there singing. But, but what do you th- what do you think of Millie and uh, Billy? Holy, I love this song, man. It is like this is a fucking creepy ass song. Like really <laughs> creepy. Like just the fact that it's so happy. Like musically, it's so happy sounding and everything. But you listen to what they're actually singing about, and there's like kind of dramatic, like dark turns, like musically towards the end. It's a creepy ass song, and I, I was listening to this album to prepare for it, and I'd be listening to this while driving around at night. Man, it, it gave me like the creeps, man. Just listening to it, it's so terrifying. Now, I, I didn't know it was about two murders. For me, I always took it as this song was about like a like a guy like singing about like this this girl like he is in love with, but then you find out it's like he's kind of like a stalker that like kidnaps her, kills her husband, and whatnot. It's just, man, it's it's dark and disturbing. It's This song is what Motley Crue was trying to do with You're All I Need on Girls, Girls, Girls. But this is actually, this is the song done good. Only Alice and Lizzie Borden can do demented love songs like this. <laughs> love this song. Okay, awesome. And now we're going to flip this record over to side two. And I'm sure this is a song we all thought about when Chris mentioned how some of these songs foreshadowed the blackout era, the new wave period. Um, and I'll, actually, I'm going to take this song first and then we'll go to Chris. But I'm just going to say that Serious to me, I love it. It's a great rocking kind of new wave song. To me, this sounds like a song that could have been on Flush to Fashion. It would have been like the production would have been more stripped down. Obviously, this has a slicker, kind of fuller production. But it sounds like that Alice. It sounds like 1980 Alice Cooper in 79. It has a kind of, it definitely has a new wave rock sound to it. And it's it's great. It's just a really catchy song. It would be one of the stronger tracks on Flush the Fashion if it was on Flush the Fashion in my opinion. And it's a great way to kick off side two. Great catchy rocker and that's the thing you know after hearing you know a track like million billy you 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 want to rock and roll a bit so it's great and i love the lyrics and uh, the production everything it just everything works for this and it's like a quick it's like a short song too it's only two minutes and 44 seconds and it's just like it's it's a great way to open up the second side what do you think is serious chris Oh, it's it. It's uh, and you're right about the the foreshadowing. It, yeah, it, it easily could have fit on Flush the Fashion, but it, it definitely would be a slick produced. Uh, yeah. Thomas Baker would have stripped it down a lot. But yeah. it's uh, it's definitely the heaviest riff I think on the record. And uh, there's part there's a riff on here that part of it. Well, Kiss actually ripped it off for any way you slice it on Asylum. I don't know if you guys picked up. Yeah, I, yeah, I that. Yeah, and that's a gr- I actually love that song. So uh, I, I like that song too. Yeah, so it was good. It was it was a good rift of for Gina Steele. It was yeah. good. Yeah, but yeah, I love that part. It's uh, yeah, it's a song about a degenerate gambler, obviously, but uh, but obviously it also relates to struggles with addiction. You know, all my life was a laugh and a joke, a drink and a smoke, and then I passed out on the floor again and again and again and again. I love those lyrics, and yeah, I love how he sings it. It's uh, yeah, he got he's singing rapid fire on this thing. Yeah. I don't know how he fits all the lyrics in on this thing, but the playing on this song is really amazing. And uh, Steve Lukather is playing on this, and he was a co-writer on it, and you can hear. 
his fingerprints all over this song. Not. Yeah, it's sequencing, as you mentioned before, Edwin, is, is very important on records, especially from this era. So you couldn't have picked a better song to start off side two. I like it a lot. Awesome. What do you think of Serious Air? Oh, this song's amazing. Fast, furious. Now, this one, it, it sounds a lot like Cheap Trick. And there's, I don't know if it's true or not. And Chris, I, I don't know if you would know, um, you know, because you, you're obviously on our Cheap Trick episode, and you know a lot about Cheap Trick. Uh, d- did Rick Nielsen play on this? Because I, this sounds like Rick Nielsen. This sounds like Cheap Trick to me. He's like, credited he on, on the this? record. He's credited on the record, but I'm not sure exactly what tracks he play on. Same he's here, but on. I, I, I feel that, like uh, it would be this one because this sounds so much like Cheap Trick. This it, sounds like a lost Cheap Trick song. It might be Rick on, on rhythm guitar. I know it's Lucas are doing a solo. Though. Yeah. But, man, this this song's fucking great. Uh, the, the big standout on this song is the, the chorus. I think the chorus is, like, ultra catchy. Just a great way to, great way to star off side two, man. Just kicks you right in the dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, okay. what do you think of the, the... I guess you could say it's the big hit from the album. How are you going to see me now? Uh, it... Maybe, maybe the the best ballad he ever did, or might be my favorite ballad that he ever did, and that's saying something with all the good ones he's done. Because I and I probably due to how personal it is, because it's yeah, you can tell he had real fear of coming out of rehab and being sober and being viewed differently by his wife, because his wife didn't really know him sober. So uh, you know he he'd been a functional alcoholic the entire time that they knew each other. So. It's also, you know, I've been gone for a while. Are you still going to be in love with me? It's, it's just, it's such a personal song, and, uh, but it, it, and it, and it did chart well. It should have been a massive hit, in my opinion, though. This is another one where, like Edwin was saying earlier, with you know one of the songs being good for Elton John, and it probably would have been bigger. This, if you give somebody else this song, and it probably would have been a number one hit because it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, at that time period got everything you would want in a radio ballad and, and it's got a perfect melody and i just think it's a case of the alice character might have hindered his chances of, of being taken seriously with this song but uh, it's an amazing ballad awesome well you're gonna like what i have to say about it chris because um you and me pretty much think the same thing actually i'm gonna i am i'm committing to this um this is my favorite alice cooper ballad ever I think it's the greatest ballad he ever sang. I think it's the greatest ballad he ever wrote. Um, it's my my second favorite song on the album. But yeah, that's because you know if I, my favorite song is probably not going to be a ballad. Although I do love a good ballad, and I do think Alice sings a great ballad. But it's my second favorite song on the album. But my very favorite Alice Cooper ballad ever. I think it's an amazing song. I totally agree with you. I feel like even though the song did chart well, it was a Top, it reached top 12. It was a top 12 hit. Um, but I do agree with you. I feel like it would have been a top 10 hit if, if, whether it was like Billy Joel or Paul McCartney or even like Barry Manilow, like any one of those guys singing this song in the late 70s, it would have been a top 10 hit, in my opinion. You know, but because it's Alice, it's a little like Kiss during this period. Like I said um, before, like sure, like sure knows something. Like if the Eagles did that song, that would have been a top ten hit. That would have been a huge song. But because Kiss did it, I just don't think some people were just like giving certain songs a chance because of who was singing it. And this is a song kind of like that. 
But it's still, even despite that, it's still just on the strength of the song, it did chart well. Although I don't think it's a song that's kind of remembered by people. And like, I've, I've never heard it on the radio in my life. Um, but apparently during that period though, you did a little bit. But it also had a great promotional video, which I assume you two guys have seen. Oh yeah. Uh, it's probably my favorite Alice Cooper video. I love the video. It's kind of like an epic little video of live humor and him coming home with his wife and all that. And everything Chris said about the lyrics, very personal. And there's just, it's just, it's one of those songs, again, it's kind of makes me think of like a classic, like McCartney ballad, like almost like, like the long and winding road, like something which it sounds like an instant standard. It just sounds like, like, yeah, the song has always been with us. And yet, but yet, even and even though I do love Paul McCartney and I love the Beatles, there's this extra element of darkness that obviously Paul McCartney wouldn't have had with the song. So it's like it's like a McCartney-esque, um, you know, ballad with a lot of splendor and you know all the bells and whistles, but with an undercurrent of darkness and irony that only Alice Cooper would bring. And it's an amazing song. It's one of the greatest ballads ever written, ever song, ever sung. Again, under four minutes, but yet fucking epic. I love this song. Second favorite song on the album and my favorite Alice Cooper ballad. What do you think, Eric? Amazing song. This is my second favorite Alice Cooper ballad. My favorite is, uh, uh, may surprise some people, uh, cause it's not one people will probably think is something to remember me by from the Welcome to My Nightmare Part 2 album, basically. I, I love, that's my favorite ballad of his, but this is number two. It's just so, it's so personal, and it's just, like, really beautiful, like, lyrically. Like, you just, you feel the emotion in his voice. And, I mean, I can kind of relate to this, man. I, you know, I had a bad coke problem for a certain period of my life. And, uh, you know, it was kind of one of those things of, like, you know, there's a girl I was, you know, kind of, talking with at the time the indian chick from who i referenced in our beatles episode <laughs> i know her well <laughs> there was her and then it was also too like you know thinking about my like friends and people i knew you know i was thinking about like if i quit what are like what what's gonna happen like it, how's it gonna be how am i gonna have this friendship how am i gonna have this relationship like what are they gonna think of me when i'm sober when i go to a party and i can't do these things you know it's it's a general fear, and, you know, it's not even him just talking about his wife. You can almost kind of sense that he's worried about, like, what the fans of his music are going to think when he's sober. You know, are they still, are the fans still going to like him when he's sober now, making, like, music? Are they still going to feel the same way that they did about him in the early days? You know, I kind of, yeah, and it's funny, too, is I've been watching, like, a lot of Elvis stuff lately, um, you know, just with that movie that came out, um, I've been watching a lot of Elvis stuff lately. I've been on a huge Elvis kick. And, like, it's funny because you watch some of those, the, the movies and, like, even documentaries. He was scared when he was away in the military about what's going to happen when I get back. You know, am I, am I going to even be a big deal anymore when I get back? Because, you know, he was nervous about, like, losing some of his popularity and whatnot because he, he would go, he went away for so long in the military. So it, it's very relatable, whether it's, you know, whether it's a relationship or whatnot, or whether it's just, you know, how's my relationship with my fans going to be when I come back and I'm sober. It, it's just, it's such a beautiful song. It really tugs at your heart. You know, I just, I love this song. Kind of reminds me of the amazing song by Eric Carmen called uh, All By Myself. 
It's yeah, kind of that awesome. sound to it. Yeah, I think also you hit upon something that's interesting too, because look at at the time period too. Like in addition, like a, and this is why the song's so great. It works on a lot of levels. On one level, it's like how does how will my wife receive me as a sober man? You know, she's never known yeah. me as a sober man. How will my fans receive me as not the alcoholic rock and roller, you know, Hellraiser kind of character? But also. Look at the time period. This is 78, where a lot of people were very mindful of, like, the shifting times. You know, there's yeah. punk, there's new wave. We're going into the 80s, you know? And in that context, I didn't think about this before until you brought it up, Eric, but this is kind of like also could kind of be like, how's he feeling about going into the 80s? Like, we're like, I was a 70s artist, you know? And this song is, like, very... 70s sounding too in a way it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like a swan song for the 70s like it's like i gotta reinvent myself and yet we have some songs like serious you know that are pointing the way but this is kind of like saying kind of goodbye to the 70s like you know yeah. he's not really gonna have a song like this again in the 80s and so it works on a lot of levels and it really does yeah I, I really feel like you know when he was writing this it, it was main. i mean the main thing was his wife but I also feel like underneath it too, he was really thinking about just everything. Like, yeah. how are my fans gonna see me? How's my career gonna go? Like, once I get sober and then you know, we're going to eighties, like, what's gonna happen? You know? Yeah, totally. Okay, Chris. Now we're gonna get to for Veronica's sake. What do you think of Veronica's sake? Well, before GNR, Alice was <laughs> writing a song about his dog. <laughs> um, it, I don't know. I it, it, it's a bit of a filler track, I, but, but um, what I it's what I lovingly refer to as killer filler. It's, so, yeah. it's nothing I will I will ever skip, but uh, it's not really a standout track to me on this one. But I do like I love the dichotomy of both of them being locked in cages with their tags. <laughs> and, uh, I, it's a good riff on the song, but it, it's definitely not one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I like it a little more than you. I agree. I, it's not one of the best songs on it. It's kind of a mid-tier song, but I do love it. It's uh, and bef- he Paul McCartney used to write songs about dogs too, so he pro- probably was. <laughs> yeah, so he was probably thinking about that. But, but it, back to the Beatles, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and you know, Alice was a big fan. I, I think this thing too, in Hollywood screenwriting, there's a term "save the cat." I don't know if you know that term, but it's like something the protagonist does in the first. 20 minutes or so in a movie that makes you like him so like the or her maybe so it's the like moment where they do something so it's kind of metaphoric you know they save the cat but you know to me i'm more of a dog person than a cat person so you know i would respond more to a save the dog moment sorry eric i know you're a cat oh, guy. yeah I'm a cat guy. <laughs> yeah but anyway yeah i'm more of a dog person but anyway so uh, I know, there's something very endearing about Alice, like, in the insane asylum, worrying about his dog, <laughs> you know, and it's it's just something, again, it's that humanity, like, again, I don't want to be a guy that's always, like, saying shit about Roger Waters, but Roger Waters doesn't give a fuck about his dog. He's thinking of <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> he just doesn't give a fuck about his dog, that's all, he's that kind of guy, he doesn't care. Roger doesn't Waters care. is a, one of those people that kicks his dog. He would kick his dog. It'd be like, you know, that, you know, that scene in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, Roman Polanski's being mean to the dog for a second. That's fucking Roger Waters. You know? Alice would not be mean to his dog. He loves his fucking dog. Like, he loves his wife. He's a good man. 
That's what I'm getting at. And he has empathy for the things and people and creatures in his life. And yeah, so it just it just makes me like Alice even more that he wrote a song worrying about his fucking dog sitting in that cage waiting for him, and that he has empathy. You know, that's the thing. We're all we're all just animals. Humans are just a higher level of animals. And you know, and he's connecting to this dog, and it's a rock and fun tune, and I like it a lot. And it's it's one of the things. It's like for. For Veronica's sake, it's like the type of song that only Alice Cooper would have on a grandiose concept album. And that's what makes it a little less grandiose and a little more intimate, a little quirkier, a little more personal. And it's one of the reasons why I connect with this. What do you think, Eric? I fucking love this song, man. Uh, this is probably my second favorite song on the album. Wow. It's, it, it's so good. It's just, I love like the, you know, that piano at the beginning, like the rhythm, the riff on it. Just, it's a fun, like little catchy song. And yeah, I love the lyrics, you know, like, fuck yeah. Like Alice Cooper, you know, he, he loves his pets. He loves his animals. <laughs> he wants them to be safe, you know? I, man, that's the thing I think about. Like, man, if you go to jail or like you get locked up in an asylum, like who the fuck's taking care of your pets? I remember yeah. there was this chick back in the day that I was banging and like, you know, like she like she was scared that she was going to go to jail and whatnot. And like it was she was kind of like telling me, like, will you, will you please take care of my cat? Like, will you please take care of my cat if I get arrested? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I love cats. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely do that. But uh, yeah, man, it's like uh, I love the song. It's just a good, fun song. And it's funny, too, Evan, because when you're saying like, you know, like, Eric, you're a cat person, right? As I said yes, like, my cat's giving me, like, a death stare. <laughs> as if he's, like, saying, like, you better say yes, motherfucker. I guess, do you acknowledge that, though, even though you're more of a cat person, you do acknowledge that cats are not as, um, let's just say, as friendly as dogs? It, it, it's about, like, <laughs> here's the thing. With cats, it's more about, like, you gotta understand cats. And I, 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 I used to volunteer, like, you know, with with foster cats and all these programs and whatnot, so I really know a lot about cats and their quirks and whatnot. Cats you definitely need a little bit more patience with. Cats are, like, the most loving animal. You just gotta... People that, like, feel that way, like, probably just don't know, like, cats that well. They don't know how to react with them, because they're very different than dogs, but they are lovable. I just... I always had an immediate repartee of dogs, and cats are always a little... I mean, I've had a few cats, don't get me wrong, I've had a few cats that kind of purred and liked me, but, you know, even then, though, it felt kind of like kind of like sly women at a party, like they were kind of <laughs> trying to manipulate me or something, whereas yeah. dogs, there's just something more open and honest about it. <laughs> I think, too, sometimes your your personality, like, your personality will, di- like, differ, like, it'll kind of decide what animal you, like, gravitate more towards. I I'm kind of more, like, calm, like, relaxed, kind of mellow kind of person so i think that's why i gravitate more towards cats they're not like as jumpy and like excited they're more chill and whatnot that, so might, think, that, that might be i'm a little yeah. alpha so dogs might respond to that yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, chris where, where do you fall a cats or dogs yeah you're the 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 decider right here yeah uh, I'm, a, I'm a dog guy right, ah. right on dogs win <laughs> Okay. I'll never. I've never had an experience where I'm just petting a dog and rubbing his belly and he's loving it, and then he just bites me. 
My <laughs> wife doesn't understand that. Like, you know, my cat, like, my cat will bite, but he doesn't, like, you know, like, bite, like, hard. He just does, like, like, he basically just puts his, like, teeth on you, like, kinda. Like, it's not, like, a vicious bite, but, like, cats will do that if you're petting them. Like, and my wife doesn't understand. She's like, oh, what the fuck? Why is he biting me? And it's like, it's just, yeah, it's not, like, a bite. It's just, like, him, I don't know, it's cats. I, I have a respect Goofy. for, I have a respect for cats. Like, that's the thing about cats. I will say this, cats have, like, more style than dogs. Like, like they know what they're doing. They they kind of have this independence. I think you know? they're smarter than dogs. Yeah, yeah, they have this yeah. independence. They can kind of be scrappy. That's why you can let them out, and they find their way back yeah. home. I I get it. And maybe yeah, but I, there's a there's a group on Facebook called Cats Are Assholes, and I've never <laughs> seen one called Dogs Are Assholes. Yeah, because <laughs> dogs are just very open hearted and and your pal. You know, yeah, that, that's the thing. You know, they're just you, you know where you stand with a dog. And it's just something immediate there, and you're like kind of connect with the dog. I don't know. That's how I always felt. Whereas with cats, it's like they're always in their own like shifty cat universe, and you know they don't need me. Whereas dogs, you know, they need you. Anyway, so let's go get back to this album, Jack Knife Johnny. Chris, what do you think of Jack Knife Johnny, who I believe is a Vietnam vet who had a knife, a Jack Knife? What do you think of Jack Knife Johnny? Yeah, uh, and I think you had mentioned earlier that this one is a little bit more of the Broadway-ish type, yeah. type song. Yeah, it's definitely more of a musical number. But it's interesting, though, that it, it's I think it's a guy, one of the guys that worked in the sanitarium that was a, a Vietnam vet. But I, it's you know, I, my dad was a Vietnam vet, and I remember him talking about how you know, and you know, it's it's not anything new, but like telling about how. You go over there, even, you know, whether you were drafted or you signed up, you go over there, you risk your life to fight for your country, then you come home and you're treated like shit and you're spit on. And um, so it, 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 hearing this and going through the lyrics kind of reminded me a little bit of what he was saying. Like, it, you did everything you wanted, but then, or you did everything the country wanted you to do, but then the country turned its back on you when you got back. Like, you had a choice in the matter. So that was an interesting how the guy is going through the struggles and he's pushing a mop in a nut house. I mean, it's probably not what he wanted for himself. So it's another heavy subject matter in a song, but it's also got a kind of a fun vibe musically. So it's just this album is a lot of contrast where the music doesn't necessarily match the subject matter. But that's kind of what makes Alice interesting and that's what makes it an interesting concept album. So. Um, yeah, I like it. I, I think it's a cool song. Definitely a little more show tuney, but I think it's a great song. Yeah, I'd say the the last two songs on this album are my least favorite. I Same. will say that. Yeah, I don't dis I don't hate them, but this is the only case where I would say, like you were saying about the wall, um, Eric, where there's a lot of songs that you're fine with them in the context of the album, but you don't want to hear them on a shuffle. You yeah. Know? Yeah, these last songs are these last two songs are the only songs that are kind of like that for me on this album. Like when I'm listening to the album, especially if I'm listening to like the vinyl version, I listen to it all the way through, and I you know I enjoy the songs enough, and I think they work in the context of the album. But outside the album, I don't need to hear Jackknife Johnny or the next one, which we'll get more into even more so the next one actually. But yeah, so it's it's a little show tuney, but. Like all the lyrics on this album, the lyrics are good. There's an interesting, um, you know, um, the subject matter and the darkness coming through. And I, I think we didn't mention this before, but at least according to Alice Cooper, all these characters are based on 
real people that yeah, he had uh, come across when he was in the uh, sanitarium, sane asylum, whatever you want to call it. And um, it has a ring of truth to it. I mean, yeah, that you know that could be that could be bullshit. You know, could just be characters that him and Bernie came up with. But uh, but I don't know. I feel like it is true. A because I feel like Alice is a straight shooter. But also, if there's a authentic quality, there's detail in the lyrics. There's enough detail in the lyrics that I actually believe them. Plus, it's an interesting world, and why wouldn't there be characters like this? I'm in the same asylum in 1978, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, so I believe that they actually are real people. And so that that's interesting. And it's kind of like watching a movie. If you're watching One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, you're not going to shut off a scene in the movie you know you're gonna watch the whole movie so in terms of the album jackknife johnny works but as a standalone song it's not one of my favorites sounds like you more or less agree eric yeah it's it's not a bad song it's uh but yeah it's one of my least favorites uh it's very show tuney um kind of like what queen was doing you know when they do all their show tune sounding songs uh, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, like, almost like upbeat, very melodic sounding, yet the lyrics are, you know, about a Vietnam vet who's, you know, you know, goes, fights this war and comes back and, you know, gets treated like shit. And, you know, he also marries a Vietnamese woman and takes a lot of shit for that. So it, it's, it's not a bad song. If I'm listening to the album, I'm going to listen to it from start to finish, but this is not one of the songs that I'll kind of pull out on shuffle or something or listen to on its own not a bad song but uh not not one of my favorites okay and let's wrap this up with the the big finale the big show tune finale inmates <laughs> in parentheses we're all crazy what do you think of this song chris uh well i mean kind of there you can tell they were trying to end on a bombastic note you know especially the way the song starts and i'm still convinced that just to listen to it musically at the beginning of the song david foster who produced this record wound up producing all those big 80s chicago albums you can't tell me that he didn't borrow from this to use it for chicago because it 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 sounds like da 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 da. I'm just waiting. Yeah. For Alice starts singing. You're the inspiration. That's what it, it sounds like at the beginning. <laughs> I love song. that fucking song. I do too. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. Karate Kid Part Two is one of my favorite. Uh, it actually is my favorite Karate Kid movie. But yeah, I mean, you can. This is kind of the the seeds being planted for David Foster with his dominance yeah. of the '80s later. Um, but it is a very dark song, and the lyrics are kind of horrifying, but they're also clever. Um. <laughs> It's not one of my favorites either. I, I'd say the last two are kind of the weaker two of the of the album. But the, the, although the ending with the crowd chanting of the the chorus and everything, kind of makes me think he was trying to like, "Hey Jude for the insane." It's like it sounds like the you know trying to do that version. I I still listen to this one a lot though. I don't skip it, and it it comes up. It's not one of my favorites, but I can tell strength wise of songwriting and performance, not one of the better ones. And I've been thinking this whole time. Because you guys have a, a ranking of what your favorite songs are on this. I really don't have one. If I had to pick a favorite on this, I'd probably, it's going to sound weird, but I'd probably go with Millie and Billy. I think I go back wow. to that song more than any other. Just I love that song. It's so creepy. It's, yeah, it's such a psychotic song, and it's it's done in such a sing-songy way that it's kind of like, how can you not love that? So, um, But yeah, I, not a bad song to end the record, but it's, it's a little different, but the, I mean, None of these songs are skippable for me. Yeah, like like I said, when I listen to the album, 
I'm listening to it all the way. You know, I want to go through the journey, and it's a it's a good conclusion. It's not a song. You know, you'll never want to listen to Inmates. We're all crazy by itself, or you know, but it's a good finale. Um, all to a degree, I kind of feel this way about every solo Alice Cooper ending in the late 70s <laughs> they're all very kind of show tuney and all just kind of finale songs you know mm-hmm. so i of those songs when i'm thinking about uh, the three albums before this this probably is my favorite of even those last songs so it kind of makes sense that this is my favorite of his solo albums because even the the last show tune song is the one i'll say i mind the least i'm just i'm not a big fan of those kind of like oh the show's over kind of songs for the most part but this does have I think I do like that um, the production and the foreshadowing of the 80s Chicago stuff and it's just uh, there's a darkness you know and I, I it also makes me think of like the the back album cover that you see when you open up the, the doors and you see them all kind of running out <laughs> you know it's like it, it's the finale it's like the lunatics are running the asylum at the end and like but also I like the sentiment of that you know but we're all crazy and I've always maybe that's why I've liked move, always liked movies like you know One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or like the original Planet of the Apes and stuff like that oh, like I fucking I, love yeah, that movie yeah I, I connect with all I can say is I connect with surly protagonists that are like the same person in an insane world and yet they're the one that is marked as insane you know? yeah so I feel like that's that's those are characters I've always connected with. So um, and I do. I feel like we um, live in an insane world, and uh, you know, and if you're someone who's not insane, it's like you're the insane person, <laughs> you know. And so I and so I connect with that sentiment. And obviously, Alice is a guy like that too. So he thinks that way, and him and Bernie both think that way, and. Um, it's, it's so I really appreciate the lyrics, and I even though it's not like a, one of my favorite songs, it's probably my I would say yeah, this is probably my least favorite song on the album. I still think it's a decent finale and a and not bad way to wrap it up. What do you think, Eric? Hey, it's a good song. Another one of my you know this along with Jackknife Johnny is like probably my least favorite song on the album. I like this one a little bit more than Jackknife Johnny. Um, it, it's another really like kind of creepy sounding tune, uh, very show tuney though. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an okay song. I love, too, the strange case of Alice Cooper when they do this song. They got all the fucking crazy-ass fucking characters come out on stage. They got, like, you know, his wife Cheryl, you know, coming out there. They got, you know, Frankenstein's monster, these weird pink-looking, like, poodle creatures. And it, it's so fucking insane. There's just so much crazy characters jumping up on stage when he does this live. Um... Yeah, it's a fun song. Good way to end the album. I mean, it's it's great for, you know, a concept album closer. Um, and yeah, man, fucking Insane Asylums, let me just say, are scary as fuck. You know, like some of the ones I've seen, like, uh, I, I remember seeing the, a movie called Girl Interrupted. And oh, wow, yeah. that movie was <laughs> fucking just, that movie messed me up, man. Me too. Yeah. Oh, that was like, I, that was some I depressing was dating, shit. I, I was dating a crazy girl who had me watch it with her. But, oh, God. Uh, oh, that's hot. <laughs> but the sex was good, and that was about it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else was a nightmare. <laughs> but man, what a, yeah, what a great fucking album though and I mean Alice Cooper doing an album on an insane asylum is 
you know, pretty pretty genius because you know he could really pull it off to where he you know he has the dark humor but he has the creepiness and whatnot you know it's just it's one of his greatest albums my favorite's killer but this would probably be num- this would probably be my number two man Wow, so, yeah. so we're, kind of, we're kind of on the same page, pal. Yeah, I, I give, like I said, I give Billion Dollar Billion Dollar Babies. That's a good one. I give that an edge, but Killer is my favorite album as well. Um, yeah, in a lot of ways, though, it's like, um, it's like he was always kind of suggesting an album like this because to me, it's like this is like a whole album of a kind of bout of Dwight Fry, you know? Yeah. On stage, he would have like you know the straight jacket and stuff. So there was always this suggestion of insanity with. Alice Cooper, so it makes sense that he would eventually have a concept album about being in an insane asylum, you know? Now, did anyone, there was like a, didn't Marvel release a comic book? Yeah, I'm glad based you on sound, it did off. anyone ever, did any guys ever read it? Because I've always been trying to get my hands on a copy, but it's just, it's hard to get No, I, feel, I is there like a PDF or anything online? I never, yeah, I should I'd love to it. check it out. Yeah, I haven't actually did the deep dive on that, but I read apparently there was a Marvel comic book uh, tie-in with this, specifically with this album where it was about him in the Asana song with all these characters. Did you ever read it, Chris? No, I, I'm not really a comic guy, but no, I, I'd be interested to, to read it just to see what it's like. But, uh, and I was also thinking that if this had taken off a little bit more, I think there could have been either at least a TV special or a movie to go with it, and that would have opened a lot of interesting creative doors, I think. Yeah, it felt like, especially when you saw the, the video for How You Gonna See Me Now, like, that was very theatrical. And, but it's, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how this album did. I don't think it did that it well. It did not, it didn't do yeah. well at all. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, I think it's too, like, I don't think Alice Cooper fans were, like, ready for, like, this kind of an album, like, the, the production sound and whatnot that it had. I don't think they were ready for an album like this. I also, I think Alice was not, like, you know, there's certain time periods where just some artists aren't going to connect. I just don't think he's really a very late 70s on the cusp of the 80s kind of artist, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you he know? was more like early 70s. By the time of the late yeah. 70s, it was more Kiss kind of took yeah. him over, kind of the, the shock rock band. I mean, that's why he, it made sense when he kind of came back was with, you know, uh, glam metal. I don't like the term hair metal. I don't say hair metal. I like glam metal. Oh, I like hair metal. Eh, it's all right. I mean, listen, don't get me wrong. As you know, I don't have a lot of love for a lot of those bands. But, you know, it's still a form of music. So I feel yeah. like making it just about their hair and their fashions a little insulting. But, you know, but you could say glam because they definitely were about um being glamorous and the, it was kind of part of the aesthetic like glam rock in the early 70s you know so i call that stuff glam metal that's what i say but i it kind of makes sense because to me alice cooper was kind of part of the early 70s glam rock movement even though it was like a detroit american kind of horror movie version of it to me it kind of works with alice cooper and I mean, um, works with David Bowie. And in a lot of ways, I feel like Alice Cooper was like the American David Bowie. He's not given the same respect, but look at it. Look at it in terms of timeline, in terms of how much Alice Cooper changed as an artist and mm-hmm. and all the different you know styles of music he did and his image changes, you know, until he kind of got he, the difference is he kind of got into a certain niche when he had his comeback in the late 80s where you suddenly okay like i'm gonna be like a 
glam metal, heavy metal guy, and that's who's accepting me, so I'll kind of have that niche. But if you look at the 70s and if you look at the early 80s, like the blackout period, he was more of a David Bowie type artist. He was more of a changing yeah. artist. Yeah. Way more experimental. And yeah. you know, he wasn't really following the pack, which is what he did in the, in the, in the 80s, but also... You know, from a business aspect, it was the best thing he could do because oh, yeah. he, he was big again. Yeah, I mean, it was all he could do. I mean, he didn't have in the early 80s like David Bowie. He didn't have a let's dance or whatever. Yeah. So so he needed to do something. And obviously to kind of go back, and that was a period where with the glam metal stuff, like those were people that did grow up like in those era. You know, the, just like all those people that love the ACDC and Alice Cooper albums I mean, yeah. and Aerosmith. And like there was this, especially with Guns N' Roses, there was this whole wave of uh, bands that loved the 70s stuff that they grew up with, along with Kiss and Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath. So it made sense for Alice to kind of jump on that. And but I feel like he's always kind of stuck with that to a degree. Like he never really became quite the experimental artist that he was in the seventies and early eighties, even though I do like a lot of his uh, later albums, but I just feel like if you know what I mean, Chris, he kind of put himself a little more in a box. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. And that, he knows where his bread's buttered and that's why he did. I mean, obviously if Dada had been a hit, he'd be doing more stuff like that, but there's, <laughs> it, it, yeah. was, it was a bomb. So, and, and also, I mean, let's be real. He was chasing trends even then. It was new wave oh, yeah. or whatever yeah. was big. Much but like I, what Kiss did. Yeah, yeah. but I love I love how he did that stuff. And also, it kind of like the way I like a lot of Kiss's stuff is because there's an album for every mood. Uh, Alice <laughs> is the same way. You you can you can dive into different eras and get different things. Yeah, it's totally. If you just want like straight yeah. up rock and roll, you put on rock all over. But if you feel like slick, coked up disco rock you got dynasty right. <laughs> if you want a, a prog rock uh you know um renaissance fair album you got the elder <laughs> well chris well thank you so much for being on this episode and as always um gotta ask you uh, is there anything this week anything you've been listening to or watching anything you'd like to recommend well this past week has been preparing and recording and then I think finishing up the edit of our 500, 500th episode. So I've kind of been listening to me for the last week and a half. So. Wow. Well, you can plug that. Plug that. Plug yeah. the 500th episode. Yeah, that'll be out by the time you hear this. So, yeah, 500 episodes of Decibel Geek. And uh, it's a it's like two and a half plus hours long. It's a long one. and uh, But, yeah, we kind of go back and talk about some of our favorite moments of, of doing the show, some of our favorite interviews, a little bit of behind the scenes stuff. And yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of cool stuff that I don't think people have heard before that follow the show. Cool. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to listen to that. So yeah, check that out. Decibel geek 500. Ep- God, that's a lot of episodes. For real. Definitely is. <laughs> does it feel, does it feel like that many? Not really. I mean, it, <clears throat> the biggest thing that we kept going back to when we reported was it's, it's hard to believe it's been that many, but also we never get time. As anyone who does a podcast knows, you don't have time to sit back and reflect a lot of the time. You get an episode out, and then you're immediately thinking, okay, what do I do next week? So it's yeah. just you never have time to really take in. Obviously, a bigger interview, you're going to get the feedback and everything, but mostly it's just get it done, put it out, start working on the next one. So that's the big thing that comes back is like it was nice to go back and really kind of scroll through the episode list and oh yeah we did do that and oh yeah we talked to that guy and you know so that 
that's the coolest part. And then obviously we got a lot of great feedback from other podcasters and listeners. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. Gives you a chance to reflect and smell the roses of yeah. what you've done. Well, that's awesome. Definitely looking forward to that. And I'm going to recommend an album that I've been kind of obsessed with this week. It's a little, I'm going to bring it up because it doesn't involve insanity and it's, it's offbeat. It's an album that there's an artist. It's a folk rock artist. I've been on a kick. I've been listening a lot of like a psychedelia from the late sixties, early seventies, some nice. more, obscu- some more obscure stuff that a lot of people don't know about. But there, there was this like folk rock artist from, um, I, I believe he was from out of California. There's a book about him, which I got to read. I don't know too much about him, but it's a guy named Craig Smith. And in the early seventies, like he, he went to Afghanistan. He was, he did the Afghani trail, like a lot of hippies did. He got raped by a bunch of dudes. It was horrible. It's kind of like deliverance. And he did a lot of drugs. And he's just like one of these, he's a little like Sid Barrett. He's like one of these like, I guess you could say like um, he's like one of these victims or train wrecks from the psychedelic eras. Like things things didn't end well for this guy, you know. He got kind of fucked up by doing a lot of drugs, and it, it's not it's not like a happy story. But also like Sid Barrett, who yeah, and I'm a little more of a Sid Barrett guy than a, a Roger Waters guy. But anyway, um, he so uh, he. There's there's a real like you know you, like when you listen to it like there's like real insanity to it like the, like it's real it's not fake like that's the thing like Roger Waters sounds like a bougie guy that lives in a nice house talking about insanity you listen to Sid Barrett and it's like that guy's really nuts you know <laughs> <laughs> and and this guy's like that but like some insane people sometimes there's a kind of um, haunting clarity and pathos. And there's a real beauty. He kind of, the, the, so the album I'm recommending, it's the only album, like he put out this album, it was underground. He would like sell it to people on the streets in, uh, in California. He would just be, you know, he would go around, he drove, you know, up and down the state and he would give people this record. There's only a few copies of it. And it was only about 10 years ago that it was like released on CD and like, you know, written officially for the first time. And it's called Apache Anka. So Craig Smith, Apache Anka, and he also went by another name sometimes, Matria Kaylee, so it confuses people a little bit, because he gave himself this other, like, Buddhist name. <laughs> so, this guy's a real, like, psychedelic kind of dropout. And this album, it's like a double album, and there's even a, one song that featured Mike Love from the Beach Boys came on and, like, uh, did some kind of uh, beatnik kind of free verse and it's really interesting too it's like and you wouldn't expect that from mike love it's like pretty hip stuff and it's it's most of the songs are kind of folky they're kind of folky but they're kind of folky with that kind of undercurrent of darkness if you know what i mean like the kind of early 70s late 60s psychedelic dark folk song where there's something slightly unsettling about it and then there's these kind of more kind of folk rock psychedelic kind of Birds, Crosby, Steals, and Nash and Young kind of type rock folk jams. And they're good, and I like them, but it's really these haunting, kind of dark acoustic folk songs are my favorite part of the album. And there's just something about it I find is very hypnotic, and I've been listening to it like every morning for the past week. And so so that's what I'm uh, recommending. I'm recommending that if this sounds like kind of a cool album you might want to check out, I recommend Craig Smith's Apache Anka, 
it's a really far out record and there's a real dark unsettling beauty to it so if you're into the idea of un of dark unsettling beauty <laughs> listen to this album what do you got Eric? Oh man, for my recommendation, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out to our good friend Mr. Mick Watkins, who turned me on to this band, and I recommend you check out their debut EP. Uh, the band's called Entranced. I don't know if you saw his video where he talked about this band, but oh man, fucking love Entranced, dude. They're another one of those new wave of uh, traditional heavy metal bands. And they almost got kind of like, you know, they got that sound, like just traditional heavy metal. The singer's got kind of this whole King Diamond thing going on, like in a little bit of his voice. I mean, he's not like real crazy like King Diamond. He's more more of an accessible voice, but he's got the look down. Um, and it's the, yeah, it's the self-titled EP. It's just really great, catchy, you know, heavy metal. Uh, they, you know, the title, you know, there's the song Upside Down, which rules the... The title track, Entranced, and uh, the amazing uh, Dream Lover. That song is like just pop metal perfection, in my opinion. One of the best pop metal songs ever. Uh, just really great fucking album, man. Definitely buy their EP, man. They recently went on tour at Haunt, and uh, yeah, buy their EP and uh, give them some love. Uh, send some of your money, because uh, I want to see them do a full-length album pretty soon. Kick-ass album, Entranced. Yeah, check out. I haven't actually checked them out yet, but I did oh, watch you need that. To. I did watch that video of Mick, and I do want. I do like a lot of the new wave of traditional heavy metal bands. Same. Do you, Chris, do you listen to any of these uh, new wave of traditional heavy metal bands? Yeah, I, yeah, some of them I do. Like, um, was it like Striker out of Canada? I really like. Love Striker. Um, was it uh, Skullfist? I like them a lot. Yeah, there's there's a few of them that I that I really do. Really I did. I really love that new Savage Master album. I thought that was yeah. great. Yeah, Ambush is one of my favorites too. I love Ambush from Sweden. Have you ever? Yeah. Looked, have you ever? It might be a little heavier than that, but have you listened to um, Revocation? No, no, I haven't. No, I ain't heard of them. Check out them. They're, they're really. I good. will. It's, it's pretty heavy shit. It's a little. It's heavier than what I usually listen to, but I really got turned on to them uh, about a year ago. Cool. Nice. Well. Well, Chris, thank you so much. This was such a fun episode. It, it was. was. Great. It was just great really diving into this album that we obviously all love. And we definitely should have you back on again in the future to talk about uh, what, what's a blackout, a blackout album that you got, that you didn't talk about on this simple geek. Um, well, let's not do flush the fashion because I actually, I did that with Lee and Mark on their show. Oh, so okay. So, so, wanna... so X that and you did Dada already. We could do. Let's do let's do zipper. Why not? Okay, I mean, okay. Give me yeah. a chance to dive back into it again. Okay, I think we're gonna do zipper at some point in the future. We are definitely gonna do that. Zipper catches skin, and that's good too because there's a certain movie we'll have to talk about as well. Oh, I think I know which movie you're talking oh, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Class of '84. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cinematic masterpiece. There. Yes. So, well, oh, we might we might have a slightly different opinion there. So. Oh, so. Ian Wadley's already screamed at me for how much I don't like that movie. <laughs> that movie rules. Well, like, oh, great. Well, it's official now. Then that's definitely got to be the next time we have you on the show, Chris. We'll talk about that album and that movie, that cinematic masterpiece. Damn. <laughs> well, it's a deal, but uh, come to Nashville in March and we'll toast a beer. Well, definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely we'll be there and looking forward. Thanks again. Bring the Molson. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks again. Thanks, fellas. Take care, Chris. Later, guys. guys.
Over and out. Get out of here! I... I gotta get...